You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, James Bond edition. I feel like I should have done... You're now listening to Movies, Sanity at the Movies. That's the kind of thing that a hack podcaster would do. But we strive for quality content here. We never do anything hacky or shticky or anything like that. Certainly in these intros, it's just getting down to business as quickly and efficiently. Like Daniel Craig's James Bond himself. We're we, just a machine. We're just a machine. A machine that longs for a soul. <laughs> yes. to be something more. <laughs> Constantly signals that. Yeah. Yeah. And Ben is signaling that his mic is needs adjustment. As, I don't know. Ben likes to play with things. Ben likes to play with things. Unlike Daniel Craig's James Bond. That's right. Who is, as we established up front, a very business-like individual. Although, he has a little fun in this movie, for a while at least. <laughs> more fun than he's had in any of his other movies. <laughs> yeah, more fun than he's yeah. had. Basically, there's one sequence where they're like, this is what it would be like if Daniel Craig did fun James Bond stuff. And then once that sequence is over, they're like, and never again will <laughs> Time this Time to die. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, this is going to be a all-spoilers review. And we're going to talk about the James Bond franchise and the way that it's changed over the years and the way that it's basically destroyed our culture. So we're going to, we have all kinds of fun things to talk about today. But at a certain point, we're going to talk about the movie, No Time to Die. And we, there will be plenty of spoilers. And if you care about that movie, then I guess maybe you don't want to listen yet. But because mm-hmm. it's, this is in one of those movies that's almost in, much like Nicolas Cage's classic 2009 sci-fi thriller, Knowing. It's almost impossible to discuss this movie without discussing the spoilers, because that's kind of the interesting thing to discuss. Mm-hmm. So, consider yourself warned, double O listeners. Once again, we don't do shtick. We just get down to business. So, let's get down to it by introducing secret agent Benjamin Solzer. He's got a license to podcast, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm willing to use it, too. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. And I didn't even introduce myself, Ben, so you want to tell the people who I am? Yeah, this is Nathan Aaron Alberson. He's kind of like the M or the Q. Or the Blofeld, I mean, or the Lucifer Satan. I'm... <laughs> Isn't it awesome that that's the bad guy's name in this one? It, it's, it's not Satan. No, it's, it's like... It's Saffin. Yeah. It's Saffin. Lucifer Saffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like to call yeah. him Lucifer Satan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we just call you N on this podcast. Yes. He's really the one who runs the show. The mm-hmm. man behind the curtain mm-hmm. gets irritated when me and Jake go off mission. But in the end, he's like, ah, you guys did They're the right things. You always it, do the right thing. Yep. Right. Trust you. <laughs> yeah. I wear yep. awesome suspenders. I have great posture. First one of those is true. <laughs> I don't know how awesome my suspenders are, but I do wear suspenders. You're a really old lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a really old grouchy lady with a heart of gold. I like a heart of cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's who I am. I'm N. I'm I'm mm-hmm. and and your your mission, double O Ben, is to introduce the other guy on the podcast so we can get this show on the road. Double O Ben. <laughs> it's not much of a code name, is it? Dun 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 dun. dun. And uh. we switch to Mission Impossible. <laughs> well, it's my mission if I. Choose, choose to accept, to accept it. it. So, yeah, he didn't right. go there. I, I was waiting I, to see if he would. Yeah, I guess he didn't, but I still felt like that was that was there. This is... This is <laughs> I agree with you. Double o, there. Double O Jake. Double O Jake. <laughs> right there. Wow. 
Faster, who's the master so of espionage. And would you consider him to be like the quartermaster of this podcast who brings the the gadgets of <laughs> great insight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some real gadgetry there. I feel like the Bond universe isn't mapping as neatly as we might wish onto what we do. There, are, are you Felix? You may be. Felix Leiter? Yeah. Yeah. You might be the Felix. A guy who you always wish would do more, but (laughs) (laughs) instead he's just kind of (laughs) lame. Sits around and smokes cigars. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Double O Jake. Yeah. I had a brother and his name was Jake. (laughs) Remember when I killed that guy who killed Jake? Yeah. (laughs) And I acted like Jake. Yes. Jake was my good friend and brother, even though we'd never spent any time together. That's right. In the franchise. Well, when you're as lonely as... James Bond. Mm-hmm. All you have to do somebody is... that you can trust and that you can always mm-hmm. look at as a friendly face. Mm-hmm. Feels like a brother, probably. Yeah. Had that guy even been back in the Craig franchise since Casino Royale? He yeah, had... he had a little part in Quantum of Solace, which I never saw. He never got to do much. Yeah, too, too bad. No, but he was just sort of like the trusted guy in Casino and Quantum. Right. Right. And if he was there, you knew that at least there was one ally in the field. Right. Hmm. Well, now he gets to be Commissioner Gordon. Felix Slater does. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, that's good in casting. Batman. He'll, he'll be good. It is good casting. Hey, you want to come in and make everybody wish we were watching your movie instead of the other guy's movie? That's kind of... That, uh, that's like Wright. what he does. He kind of has a specialty. <laughs> special, that's kind of his shtick. Like, here you go. I'll end up, let, let, add a bunch of color and personality and awesomeness and be completely underused and sell some weak material. That's what he does. Uh, anyway, that's 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 putting a toe into the line of my thoughts on this movie, and we're not there yet. You know, let's. I bet, I bet, I bet the Batman uses him well. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, probably. Matt Reeves is pretty smart that way. Matt Reeves is smart, and he will probably make a good Batman movie. I, I guess that's that's my take, folks. Will we want to watch it? Well, I want to watch it. I don't know. I mean, but I want to watch it. I, Maybe if it just if it's like trying to out dark other Batman's, I think that's not only morally questionable, but also just lame. Like yeah, every Batman can't be the dark Batman. Like it seems like every time we get a fresh iteration, it's like this time it's dark. Yeah, yeah. guys. Yeah, you, you can't. If everything's dark, nothing's dark. If if it's gonna rub my face and look, Batman likes to brutalize bad guys by breaking their arms and electrocuting them and. They fight serial killers who like to tape people up slowly, and I just uh. yeah, I'm not I'm not really there for that. But I feel like hopefully they learned their lesson from Batman v Superman mm. colon question mark <laughs> Dawn of Justice, uh, where they had Maybe. Batman. Batman was brutalizing people, and nobody was happy. Bat with that. branding them. He was bat branding them. Yes, <laughs> Robin, my bat brand. <laughs> Batman, I think you have a great brand. Oh. That brand. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, here you go. <laughs> Why the internet hasn't used deep fake technology to turn Adam West into all the iterations of Batman, we will never know. <laughs> oh. well. Anyway. Anyway. Bond. Bond. James Bond. Guys, let's talk about baggage. Our baggage. <laughs> Let's start there. Why not? Uh, what baggage do you bring to this film, Ben, and to the Bond franchise in general? I was <clears throat> pretty much allowed to watch James Bond reruns on TV anytime. It was never questionable. I remember even renting one of Roger Moore's ones as a 
maybe a preteen, but at least as a young teenager when I was sick or something. Mm-hmm. And so I saw a lot of Bonds. I saw a lot of the old stuff. And then I don't think I saw any Pierce Brosnan in theaters. No, I saw one of them in theaters, but watched, watched them on, on video. And then watched Casino Royale. And maybe, maybe didn't see another Bond movie in the theater until this one. No time to die. But <clears throat> I just remember that it helped me towards my personal journey of lust, mainly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the action sequences are fun. James Bond is kind of fun. Watching him ski and fight the bad guys on skis is fun. Mm-hmm. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gross stuff, and I absorbed it. And it's, it's weird that there was no tension in our house about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Really? Just odd. It wasn't helpful. I don't really like James Bond. Did you like him as a kid? Like, did you actually... Did I actually like it? Did you actually think it was cool? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. It was really fun. I mean, I was was much more there for the bad guys in the action in some sense. But the older you get, Mm -hmm. you're definitely there for the other stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. James James Bond is just going to put that in your face constantly. Yeah. And it's it's like a a gateway into porn and stuff, not to be too... To put too fine a point on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're um, going to talk about that uh, a lot today. Although I would say Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, not so not much. Not so much, actually. They, no, they've moved away from that because it's politically incorrect now. It's very politically <laughs> correct to have uh, beefcake. So we're we're going to see a lot of shirtless Craig. <laughs> yep. Uh, they, they'll th- they'll throw in some eye candy for the ladies. Actually, much just, m- yeah. This is a reversal of swap. Yeah, and that's very, the sex object now, right? And it very intentionally they did the swap yeah. in Casino Royale. He comes out of the water in the mm. style of the famous shot of Ursula Andress from Doctor No. Yep. They mm-hmm. just did it, and this time <laughs> the, the it's the female gaze, not the male gaze. Isn't this great? Yay, empowerment! <laughs> Favorite James Bond? Oh, Pierce Brosnan from GoldenEye. But I probably like Craig better after this movie. I think this movie does a lot to burnish Craig's legacy. Yeah. Inspector did a lot to whatever the opposite of to tarnish his legacy. So he was smart to come back because this one does the job of putting everything in a nice context, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Yep. I Timothy Dalton was really fun in one of his movies, <laughs> of which maybe there are only two. There are only two. And Living Daylights is more of a traditional James Bond That's movie. Right. And he's pretty fun in it. And then the other one is just sour and mean. And he's uh, busting up a drug cartel. It's and it a just, very mean, like, gross mafia movie with James Bond. Yeah, they just, they just were like, we yeah. have to make an 80s schlock, like... Vengeance flick. Chuck Norris movie yeah. or something. And yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. pretty unpleasant. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Felix Leiter gets his arm eaten by a shark or something like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then James Bond harpoons a couple of bad guys. This is for Felix. Yeah. This is leaves a trail of blood through mm-hmm. the whole movie. Well, James Bond's been harpooning bad guys since at least Thunderball. <laughs> Thunderball. Oh, I forgot about some that. Some guy's sneaking up and then he harpoons him and then he says, I think he got the point. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> Stuff like that is really fun. And yeah. definitely as a kid, that's why I watched it. All the fun stuff, all the gadgets. Mm. Loved it. Well, by the way, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but if you're tra- tracing your action movie tropes, James Bond definitely, there is no question, invented the post-kill wisecrack. <laughs> Dr. No, some I, I don't remember what the wisecrack is, but a car goes off a cliff and then Dr. No says, or not Dr. No, uh, James Bond says something kind of wry about it. 
and the audience and it's just one moment one random moment that they did in the movie huh. and the audience loved it and then they leaned into that and started coming up with these stupid you know <laughs> the famous one in goldfinger is when he electrocutes the guy in the bathtub and then he says shocking positively shocking and so all your Arnold Schwarzenegger, your mm-hmm. Hasta La Vista. Downstream all, of that. All huh? downstream of James Bond. If, if, he, if James Bond has done one great thing for culture, and he has, it's to give us mm-hmm. the post-kill wisecrack. I, I should also mention, I actually, I was, for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I'm going to read James Bond novels. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, and again, I wish I could remember how old, I went to the library and I think, yeah, it must have been Dr. No. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was Moonraker. It was Dr. No. And some for some reason, I read the whole thing. And I say for some reason because James Bond novels are pretty boring. Yeah, they are. They're pretty dry. Mm-hmm. Especially if what you're expecting is the more elaborate, silly, kind of Roger Moore it, stuff. It's not that. There wasn't even that much action. And I don't know. That's That's all that I remember is that it was kind of dull. Right. And I never went back. And I don't remember it being sexually explicit in particular. Mm-hmm. Just sort of gross in the sense that. James Bond will sleep with anyone. Mm-hmm. And then sort of boring. Right. Like, if you want the flavor of what a James Bond novel is like, I would say the middle section of Casino Royale with all the intrigue where, about the card game and, and uh-huh. kind of we're going back to the hotel and reconnoitering and talking and stuff. And there's not a lot of action. And then we're going to get tortured. And then Lashif is going to get a bullet in the head. Like, that's take, take out all the fun action scenes at the beginning, take hmm. out the parkour. Just have James Bond in a casino with intrigue and some kind mm-hmm. of the, a violent threat in the background, and then a whole lot of atmosphere and mm-hmm. a whole lot of wealth and privilege, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. You know, a whole lot of here's how you make the perfect martini, and here's how you make a Vesper, and here's the clothes that that's that's what James a James Bond novel is like, <laughs> as much as anything. Jake, your baggage, James baggage. I, James Bond is pretty ubiquitous, so can't grow up without Bond. I didn't care a lot about Bond, so he's around, but not any kind of big part of my childhood. So, do you see? I guess Pierce Brosnan is as our collective James Bond that we sort of. Yeah, I saw. Grew up I with. saw the Pierce Brosnan Bonds, or most of them, probably. I, I couldn't tell you if I saw them all or not. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I just didn't care that much. Goldeneye was a cool video game. Mm-hmm. It was a cool video game. Goldeneye was a awesome video game and probably consumed a lot of hours of our collective mm-hmm. childhoods yeah, and probably the did. collective childhood of our nation, if people were if our age. Thoughts baggage with the Craig era? No. I mean, I've seen them all a couple of times, probably. But you just wouldn't consider yourself to be like a James Bond guy or like, and you never have been and you still aren't, so... Yeah, I mean, I, as a kid, you think that Q and the gadgets are cool, mm-hmm. and you still have a pick of who your favorite Bond is, and mine was Connery. Right. But it, I don't understand anybody who would pick anybody else until Craig. I think those are the choices. Although, I have a soft spot for Bronson just because I grew up with him, but yeah, he never really Brosnan? Got, Brosnan. Yeah, Bronson. <laughs> I have a spot, you don't soft know spot his for name. Charles Bronson. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think he made good on his promise after the first one, but he promised a lot as a Bond in GoldenEye. Yeah, and I don't think it's his fault. I think he was always game. They just made some really crummy movies. They made him. a lot of They made a bunch movies. of dumb movies. Then they didn't know how to straddle the fact that they were coming out of the context of Silly Bond and they were in the 90s and early 
hotties now. Mm-hmm. And so what are they? They just didn't know. They, yeah, lived, in, they lived in no man's land. And Jason Bourne showed up and kicked <laughs> Bond's butt. Mm-hmm. And that was they it. had to remake themselves in the image of Jason Bourne mm-hmm. with Daniel Craig. And so I always saw the Craig franchise as James Bond now has to live in a post-Bourne world. Mm-hmm. And so let's just give you Jason Bourne, but with a little more clat with the tux and, you know, a little bit more class. Right. Which to me, I guess I'll get into my baggage. I like the class. I I never have as much patience for Mission Impossible or Jason Bourne movies because there's not usually a lot going on on the side of the frame. It's it's just the mission. It's just the action. But the the gadgets, the suits, the clothes, the cigarettes, the like all that I like, stuff. I like that stuff, but I I would say until No Time to Die, Craig didn't care or he hated it. Yeah. And mm. those movies sort of despised it. And so it was there, but it was never really leaned into in a way that made it sexy. Well, they they do things like uh, they intentionally give a middle finger. There's the part in Casino Royale where the guy's like, would you like your martini yeah, shaken or yeah, stirred? Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I don't give a darn. You know, yeah, do I look like I care? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this James Bond doesn't care about all the James Bond stuff, which is kind of an insult if you paid for a ticket because you like James Bond stuff. <laughs> yeah, the the whole movie is this is not the James Bond that you know and it's rubbing your face in that. And that's fine. It was a fun fun action movie and a fun action franchise, but it worked really hard especially early on to say we are not anything like James Bond that has come before this. Well, I would say the Craig f- franchise until Skyfall. Yeah, I would say they twice they what they did is they straddled that line and then and they promised, oh, now we're going to give it to you. So at the end of yeah. Casino Royale, he shoots Mr. White. He comes up. He's, the guy, he's like, oh, who are you? And he's like, I'm Bond, James Bond. The music kicks in. It's awesome. You're like, yay. We, yeah. we had an origin story. Now we get James Bond. And mm-hmm. then Quantum of Souls is like, oh, no, no, no. You, you don't get James Bond. Nope. In fact, <laughs> you're an idiot for wanting it. <laughs> um, and we hate you. <laughs> what you get is a really bad Bourne movie. Yeah, here's a, here's, mm-hmm. a, here's a, a really bad, terrible Bourne movie. We're not even going to give you good action. Like, yeah, but everything's just going to be terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that movie doesn't have any... It, is, it, just, it doesn't give you anything. No, no. Not it, a thing. The, the bad guy's a like... a waste of life. He's like, I'm going to... Get oil uh, rights or something. I'm like, this is not a James Bond. I'm but it's steam- not oil rights. It's water rights. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not Dominic Green, <laughs> the sleazy businessman. And <laughs> this has to be about defending the girl from the evil misogynist mm. as much as anything else. So... Yeah, but we're not going to have any fun with that or, no. or make it like there's any kind of even like banter or joy or... Nope. It's just like she's a sleazy, a victim of a sleazy guy. Yeah, that whole movie is so dour and mean-spirited and just awful. And then Skyfall comes along and it does the exact same thing that Casino Royale does where it's like, it's not really. Yeah, I love Skyfall um, insofar as you're you're allowed to say you like any of this stuff. But yeah, it does the same thing where it's like, it's not really a James Bond movie, but we're setting everything up and we're making a great promise of the next yeah, one. By, by the end of this movie, we will have completed the origin story of the James Bond that you know. Mm-hmm. And we'll give you Q, we'll give you Money Penny, we'll give you a new M who can just be the straight arrow. Dude will kill Judy Dench because 
We'll burn she James Bond's past to the ground. Like He has no attachments left, nobody he loves, nobody he has any personal connection to, and now nothing is personal anymore. He is just the cold-blooded, conscienceless, conscious, conscienceless assassin. And ta-da, now I present to the world James Bond, right. as you know him. And that could have set up a whole fun run of movies mm-hmm. in the old style that played with some of that older stuff. Mm-hmm. And then- and then they said, "Good old Spectre." Forget that. Yep. Nope. Bond's back, and this time it's personal again. again. Yeah. <laughs> this time it's personal for the fifth time. <coughs> yeah. <sighs> Spectre is like so disappointing, and we've got Blofeld, and this time it's personal with Blofeld, and he's really James. Well, we're Bond's. not even going to give Blofeld a cat. We're going to have a little cat that we see in the background of one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just. Yeah, and everybody hated that movie. And we're gonna give him a, this whole complicated uh, adopted brother backstory, like. And we're gonna well, try. And, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Skyfall. I feel like Skyfall actually set that up. My memory is it, you just you actually spend a lot of time learning that James Bond has a sad past, and then there also you learn that in the in Ro- Casino Royale. You learn that he's yeah. an orphan and all the stuff in Casino Royale. I, you didn't learn that in Skyfall. That I was already I, there. I love the. I forgot about that, but. I really like the ending of Skyfall. For one thing, it's beautiful, the way it's photographed, all the fire, the Roger Deakins cinematography mm-hmm. is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, that final mm-hmm. action scene with Javier Bardem stalking them across the marsh mm-hmm. is just like one of the more, more most gorgeous things that I can think of in recent moviedom, honestly. I don't think that's hyperbole. But that movie gives me all of James Bond's past that I ever want. I mean, you get mm-hmm. the, you, you see he's an orphan. You, you see hmm. he comes from some kind of privilege. You understand why this iteration of Bond kind of despises that privilege. I hate to use the word privilege, folks, but I don't know what a better word is for this. That's what they would use when they were cracking the screenplay. You see, you just get everything without, yep. without being told And much. it all burns to the ground. Mm-hmm. The family manor mm-hmm. is burned to the ground. His relationship with M, who's a mother figure and has been for three films now, is is dead. Mm-hmm. There are no girls left. Mm-hmm. There's nobody and nothing. There's a new cast of supporting characters that he has a professional relationship with mm-hmm. and a little bit of sexual tension. Right. Which is part of the franchise. Everything is dead at the end of that movie mm-hmm. except for the serial, the, 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 the assassin. Mm-hmm. It's just really well done and really fun and part of what leaves you so high is the way that that movie ends with this sense of we've had an origin a three movie origin story and now you've got the bond that you mm-hmm. you grew up with right and they they, they literally save the gun barrel logo until the very end of that movie like hey here it is we earned it we're back it's the gun yeah. barrel logo and they did, and they make you feel like you've earned it, and they've earned the right to now go into silly gadgetry and to, into villains with giant world domineering plots and and metal jaws and mm-hmm. bladed hats and quippy death mm. strokes and like and they've then- earned, they've earned all of it because they've they spent so much time grounding this guy and beating him up, and now he just gets to be the. The untouchable, above it all, mm-hmm. dude, and that was like really satisfying and really cool. Yep, and then Spectre undoes everything. Doesn't even give us a gun barrel logo. I don't think it's just like here we are. Undoes it all. Yeah, he's on another rogue mission. He's got a bunch of past junk to deal with. He's in love again randomly with a girl. 
Which, boy, this movie does a great job of retconning that relationship into yep. something meaningful. Yep. But, mm -hmm. boy, does it not feel meaningful in, at all. By the end of this movie, you're like, oh, Madeline Swan, the, the greatest Bond girl of them all. The, mm -hmm. the, the only Bond girl to become a Bond woman. But the, none of that is <laughs> <laughs> really there. Like, she, says, she's, she, she says the words, I love you, in uh, uh, Spectre, and they're completely unearned. And it's like, well, why do you? Well, yeah, and the idea that Bond would walk away from uh, Blofeld mm -hmm. instead of put a bullet in his brain. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. At the end of that movie, he'd walk away to walk off with Madeline Swan because he always had a choice. Mm -hmm. Was just the stupidest James Bond thing of all time. Here's an even better choice. Shoot Blofeld. And, and then, then walk, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a much more Bond thing to do, but it was just like absolutely intent on undermining everything yeah it's a it's weird but then no time to die comes along and uh, does a pretty good job of taking all those pieces and it gives you better blow felt yeah actually even it gives you a, a, a madeline swan that matters mm -hmm. it gives you james bond that likes being james bond for the first time in daniel craig's tenure yeah i think maybe and, maybe daniel craig had to get a little perspective on it and uh maybe he needed to Maybe he needed the failure of Spectre to realize, oh, I don't want to go out with that a sour note of my run. Let's let's do something that's more. I mean, I, I would have said until No Time to Die that Daniel Craig was one of the worst Bonds of all time because he hated being James Bond and it came through in every single performance. And I think No Time to Die completely changes that narrative. Yeah. It changes the narrative so much that I rewatched all the Craig Bonds leading up to this movie, hated Craig's performances, never liked craig really as bond mm -hmm. and when i finished watching no time to die i wanted to go back and rewatch them all again right i, I didn't and i won't because mm -hmm. what a waste of life but still i had the impulse and the urge to go back and rewatch them all in light of how no time to die sends off sends them off as a character and as a performance uh, yeah I, I felt the same urge yeah which is a sign <laughs> that this movie did something right i yeah. mean yeah, it's, well, the thing, I'm not sure how much I, I, I agree with you. Daniel Craig does seem to have a disdain for a lot of what makes James Bond popular and, and great. But um, I don't know that I really blame Daniel Craig because I think the franchise is always trying to figure itself out. I mean, ever since the original Sean Connery, they're, they're always, the fascinating thing about watching the James Bond movies is they're always just one step behind the culture, actually. Not two steps. And, but they're always so like the Playboy philosophy hits in the late 50s, early 60s. And then James Bond kind of rides that wave, but it actually rides the end of that wave. And it's already kind of outdated. But, and people are already making fun of it by the end of the Sean Connery era. And then Roger mm -hmm. Moore comes along and they just <laughs> try and follow trends. And it's so funny to watch like Moonraker. Star Wars is big. <laughs> Let's send James Bond to space, I guess. That's what people and have a big laser battle and have a big laser battle. And then after that one, oh, the 70s grit is big. So we'll do a 70s grit movie for your eyes, your eyes only. And then Dalton comes along and he's doing like the 80s gross thing, the, mm -hmm. the really hard 80s action kind of Schwarzenegger Stallone thing. But he's doing it a little bit late. 
and then and then Pierce Brosnan really tries to split the difference, and it stinks because I think Brosnan's there to play. He's a good Bond, yep. But his movies are always trying to yeah. have mm-hmm. one foot in the Roger Moore era and one foot in the modern world, and it just never. They, well, they they end in a hundred percent camp in a movie I've never even seen. I've just seen bits of it with the invisible car and. And him surfing to get ahead of like a missile yeah. or something like CGI that. CGI surfing away from a laser. Yeah. No right. time to die or uh, die another day is ridiculous. And yeah. Yeah. And it's and, just pure camp. And you left out George Lazenby in his contribution. Yeah. In, in Her Majesty's Secret Service. You yes. can forget that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people's, that's their favorite James Bond movie because it takes Bond pretty seriously. It and does. Gives him a love, a wife, actually. Yeah, Tracy Gives him Bond. a wife. And then she dies at the end. And killed by Blofeld. Killed, Blofeld, Assassinated. killed by Blofeld. And he says. Yeah. Spoilers. He created, yeah, spoilers for Sorry. a movie that's 40 years old or whatever. Yeah. He cradles her head and says, we had all the time in the world, which this movie had, had a couple nice nods to. And then Louis Armstrong's song, which they used again for this one, comes on. We had all the time in the world. Lazenby himself is a pretty lame James Bond. If you put Sean Connery in that same movie, it would be the best James Bond movie because it's a story. It's really good and it's pretty moving, actually. But it gives mm. Bond some humanity. But the Lazen- no, yeah, that Lazen- guy's Lazenby's was just like a model, an Australian model of all things. I think James. Am I remembering this right? What is Sean Connery? Sean Connery's a Scot. I think there's yeah, been very Scottish. few actual British James Bonds. Maybe Daniel Craig's the first. Actually, well, no, you mean English? I'm sorry. Yeah, English. Roger Moore, I suppose, is English, and he had a long tenure and is a lot of people's most remembered James Bond. But Lazenby was Australian. Dalton, I forget what Dalton was. Dalton's not? Dalton might be British. I think he is. Yeah, English. English. I think Dalton is English, but Brosnan is... Brosnan's either Irish Irish or Scottish. Yeah. He's Irish. I think he's Irish. And then Craig is just one of Her Majesty's subjects, obviously. Craig's proper English. Craig's proper English. But we've had more non-Brits play James Bond than we have had. Pierce Brosnan's Irish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Dalton and Craig and more. So we've had three proper British or English or I don't know. English. Yeah. So all subjects of Britain. Right. Maybe Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. No, sorry. I, I tried to pull up Timothy Dalton and I actually pulled up Timothy Chalumet. Yeah, Timothy Dalton is technically from Wales, so. Huh. Well, all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, the James Bond movies, you you do have to understand them in the context of they're always a little step behind the culture. And so I actually wouldn't be surprised if the next iteration was fun and quippy because one step behind the culture would put them one step behind Marvel, (laughs) 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 which means they might actually be like, oh, people like having fun again. I guess we should do that. I mean, Casino Royale is that though. Basically, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's playing lip service to being dark and gritty, but I don't know. Yeah, it, but it's, no, it's not. You don't think so? No, uh, there's nothing the, fun or quippy about that. That movie's a slog. If you think about the, it has parkour and stuff. But if it you think has about so the, much. I, if you think about the torture scene with, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's it, just. It, like, you have a really long opening parkour scene. Yeah, and if you like Nathan said, you know, ha- half a step behind. So parkour YouTube videos right. and, and Jason Bourne, you have mm-hmm. all of that for like 10 minutes or something for ten, like 10 minutes. And then after that, you're stuck in a casino with some dude exp- expositing to you how Texas Hold'em works and the poker is so and how bad. poker works and what a tell is. 
that's 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 it. And then Bond running to and from his room, having a fight in the stairwell, getting poisoned, and running to and from his car, and needing to be shocked back to life. Mm -hmm. But that's before you didn't even mention the forty minutes of him cheating with this disposable woman who is then killed, and you know we're pretty we're meant to feel the brutal coldness of all that yeah okay um, fine. i've just it, forgotten a lot him of tracking down this assassin through like the body works display and all this stuff it's, yeah it's all pretty dark in the, and, yeah. in the airport yeah and, yeah it's got a lot of fun action i mean i i can see how your memory could yeah. make it into a yeah. more fun no, movie than it actually is but yeah you remember it as a more fun movie than it is because in the time that it came out it felt really fresh it felt relatively fresh it and did, cool yeah but you go back to it and it's just like, it's pre- it's a slog and it goes forever. It has like three endings. You know, you have the whole end to the story with uh, Le Chief, And then you have this whole other story with him and uh, Vesper. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, and then, then Mr. Right. White shows up again. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, like two and, and a half it, hours long. Yeah, it's, it's like, that's it's a slog of a movie. Yeah. And it's... It gets to stay in the canon of great Bond films because of what it what it did for kicking off the Craig franchise. But as a movie that's fun to go back to, it's really not as fun as you remember it. Yeah. And well, the Quantum of Solace, the follow-up, is like... Pure slug? With It's just a waste of time. There's just no point to ever go back to that movie yep. again, except to be a completionist and to understand the way that they developed Craig's Bond and what a pivot Skyfall was and what a stroke of genius it was. And then, oh, Spectre's going to try to ruin it again. <laughs> and it's like, it's just not, the only the only thing that you can do to redeem those oh. movies is set them in contrast to other things that are going on at the same time, like the Mission, Impos- uh, Mission Impossible crap, mm-hmm. where Cruz had a killer uh, introduction to a franchise Mm-hmm. And then turned around in Mission Impossible Two, and it was a completely different franchise with a completely different character and a completely different movie mm-hmm. and a terrible, boring, melodramatic, scratch your eyes out, waste of time <laughs> movie. And then a pivot with a to fun motorcycle sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that fun. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's a terrible. I mean, movie. the amount of it's it's it's, it's not going worse. to slow motion. Tom Cruise has more pretty hair oh yeah moving in slow motion than the girl in this movie that might be the number one movie where if you sped up the slow motion to regular motion it'd be about 45 minutes long that's right (laughs) it really would i mean it's like the whole movie slow motion yeah yeah it's pretty and then all of the absurd martial arts that Mm. you've got tom cruise doing where he's like doing these silly flips and things like that following a mission impossible movie that was really grounded Mm mm-hmm in fun in its way. And well, and very serious and in full of intrigue and betrayal and yeah, it was great. Kind of it was yeah. great. And then and then follow it, follow it up by and it, oh no, that was terrible. Who's gonna save the day? We all know J.J. Abrams. Yeah, he can come in and do something just <coughs> he, generic enough to offend no he, one. And he can also not. he can he can make it grounded and horribly melodramatic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows how to use slow motion too. <laughs> right. <laughs> For slow motion is Tom Cruise dead scene. Yep. Oh my oh, god. Don't be dead, Tom Cruise. Oh, no. <laughs> we all none of us care about this character, Ethan Hunt, anymore, <laughs> but we're gonna pretend like we do. And then 
And then you bring in Christopher McQuarrie after that, right? You bring Brad, Brad Bird. Bird after that. Oh, you bring in Brad, Brad Bird. Yeah, Bird and Brad Bird one. saves the franchise. Uh, That's right. Redefines it. And then Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie jumps in mm-hmm. and just repeats Brad Bird. Does some good work. Showing, showing a, a drift back towards very boring melodrama with his last feature. Yeah. But, but enough really fun action scenes to save it. Yeah. 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 And, I, may, I, and make it something worth even coming back to. I, I never want to because I just cannot. I do not like Ethan Hunt as a character. I don't really like the world. That is that is for me where even the worst James Bond movie I will still have more fun with than well. That's that's exaggerating because Quantum of Solace is horrible. You will have more fun with the last three, any of the last three Mission Impossible movies than Quantum of Solace. I would probably though personally turn on Spectre after a long day before I would turn on a Mission Impossible movie just because I fundamentally do not care about that world or the, that character. Yeah. I understand a lot of people like those movies and the action scenes are really fun. Yeah. I, so then, then agreed. So you've got mission impossible on one side and you've got born on the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. And born is a character that you can care about. Right. And has a world and has a style and has a grounding that's in contrast, at least to bond. It's right. really humorless and mm-hmm. yeah. it doesn't try to be fun. And but that's the th- well, that's it did the, in the, the th- first one. I just I wish the Borns hadn't did. taken themselves so seriously after the first one. But well, that was just what was going on. And but that's part of the problem with the Craig Bonds. It's mm. like mm-hmm. they like if he would have just played he he can if he would have played the role with less contempt for the role or mm. less contempt in general. But the world of James Bond is still fundamentally a lot funnier and more fun and colorful. It is a, it is a more fun world. And as soon as you get rid of Judy Dench and bring in Ray Fiennes and Ben Whishaw mm-hmm. and Naomi Harris, you've got some really great color around it. Right. And just a- around Craig. Having Javier Bardem with a silly bleach blonde haircut acting gay and taking out his false teeth and stuff and... There's James a little bad CGI there, but still, James Bond R. Bardem's character was awesome. James Bond is is, is willing to it's pretty great. have fun, even with, like, it's, it's not just the humor, but it's the subtext of irony with the villains and with some of the exaggeration and stuff. And Javier Bardem's character has a point of view and a motivation, <sighs> and, like, I, and there's a story there that's yeah. being told. But I think like, we haven't maybe mentioned the real template for Craig, which is the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Right. And you don't have to look any farther than the movie we're going to talk about today to see that they keyed exactly off of even the third Christopher Nolan. Like, oh, that's how you, that's how you close one of these franchises. These are the kinds of big dramas and melodramas that you develop. And this is how you send your hero off. They, I mean, they were into spoilers. They had uh, more courage than stupid Christopher Nolan, Nolan did. did. But Christopher Nolan, I think, did set the template of it's okay to definitively end one of these stories. And that's actually what people want. And it's fun to, even though you know there's going to be another one, it's fun to sort of make it all feel like it's a big thing. And like Christopher Nolan did such a bad job of that, in my humble opinion, in Dark Night Rises. But you but, learn a lot from people's mistakes, even as they try to, mm-hmm. okay, he took some, he did, he took risks. Mm hmm. He retired Batman. Right. Like that was a risk and we can fault him for not having the courage to kill him, Mm. but he made it possible 
for Bond to be killed. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, and that is completely what they're keying off of is the end of Dark Knight Rises and and just the general. It's we- what I imagined would be the end, and what I w- before I thought about what I would want to do as a writer, I. I had enough hatred for the way that they had played Craig's Bond that I really wanted the fake out death. Mm-hmm. I didn't want a definitive death. To me, that was just like another step towards we hate this character. We hate this character, and it's m- self serious, melodramatic bullcrap that is not true to anything that anybody has ever loved about James Bond. Mm. If you're going to end James Bond, then have him on a beach somewhere. Smirking as he sips his Vesper mm-hmm. with some island babe at his side, ready to do whatever he wants to do next. So like, you wanted you wanted them to say we hate we we don't just hate ourselves, but we hate the movies we made. And here's yes. here's just like mm-hmm. a, <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted yeah. them to say. And that was probably as much my hatred and contempt for the way that they handled the whole series when they when it had so much potential mm-hmm. to be so awesome. I think I felt I. I think I just felt betrayed by Spectre. Yeah, like, which which is totally fair. But I think cumulatively they pulled it off. Three out of five ain't bad, actually. Cumul- cumulatively, I think you're right. And I, I think you're right, especially when you go back to Mission Impossible or the Batman films or hmm. Bourne. This was a better, what, 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 I dare say, a better ending than any of the things you just named. Easily the best ending of all of them. Mm. And... and retroactively does a whole lot for the other movies and then okay like if you're gonna like of those three franchises three four uh, what else? how many did Born, I say? batman and what was the other one mission, mission Impossible. Impossible. Four. of those four franchises mm. if you had to have one action one one of those action franchises in its entirety and the other three had to burn what do you keep and I, I I think No Time to Die makes a really strong case that you keep Bond. Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. I mean, I, I'm partial to Bourne, but I don't feel like going back to Bourne necessarily ever. And I... Discuss my thoughts on Bourne <coughs> many times. We we have. We have. One day we'll just do those movies. Yeah, I guess we'll have to. It, but. I don't like... I mean, Skyfall is the one, the most likable entry. For all I said, Casino Royale was fun. I never really liked it that much. Skyfall is... Um, Probably when all is said and done, Skyfall is still the movie that you actually want to go back to from this run. Although Skyfall didn't make me care about the franchise. I was just like, that was fun. It was all right. It was clearly the best done Mm -hmm. of them. The most like, we know what to do with this. We have something to say. We have a point of view. Yeah. We have a story that that has a point of view. We have characters that have a point of view. Everybody here has a point of view and it matters and it matters to us and Mm -hmm. we care about where they're coming from and there's by the end people are going to be changed and we care about where this ends and we're headed in a direction Mm -hmm. with all of this and we're taking this whole franchise we know where it's come from and we know where we're taking it that movie says all of those things and it's the only one that Mm -hmm. really does right no time to die is very good in a lot of ways, but it's more reactive and more just a good. The villain has job. a point of view. The mm-hmm. villain does have a point of view, in and to it, die and it, and they take no it time. seriously, and it means something. And but he doesn't have much of a plan. No, his plan sucks. <laughs> well, his plan just doesn't exist. Well, it, it, actually, he has a good plan to kill Spectre, which I loved. But then 
they never explained. They forgot to explain what yeah, his, they, his actual plan was. They, they left out a lot of stuff and relied on the emotional tension to carry it. Which it basically did, which is good. Which it did. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, in a sense, they were saying, who cares what his plan is? It's a bad plan, and James Bond doesn't even care enough to give him a good death. He just blows him away as an afterthought, which I liked all that. But a, a plan would have been nice. That's another pass on the screenplay. Mm. Or another pass on the third act. Well, yeah, this movie just feels like exactly what it is, which is they had some plot guys write the screenplay, and then they had that Phoebe Waller bridge lady come in. Actually, and the second act. Spice yeah. it up. And, like, mm-hmm. you can you can tell the pieces, like, Here's the sequence that they had somebody write some fun stuff for because it was supposed to be fun. And it's with that secret agent chick. Yeah, that was awesome. And then <laughs> they needed one more pass on Luc- Lucifer Satan, I think, and needed just a, another little pass to refine him a little bit. But that, the, but the speech scene where we're sitting at the, at the tea table with the little girl, that whole scene was great. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's a really scary villain, but just, just, a, just a little... A little clean up on him, I think. Clean up on Isle. Mm-hmm. Lucifer Satan's plan. Wouldn't hurt anything. A little bit more on his relationship with, like, why he cared about Madeline Swan and the girl so much. I mean, I get it. I, I understand that it's kind of there in subtext. And, and I'm always... Uh, I don't know that that's... I don't know that we needed more of that. I thought that was pretty clear and obvious. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. Her dad killed his whole family and nearly killed him, and he as an adult came to kill and then made a decision to save her. And he's been fascinated and watched her from afar ever since. What's his end game with her though? What's he hoping is going to happen? He wanted to, I, I think his end game is what he tells the little girl in the flower garden. You'll be raised here. In other words, the end game is your daughter is my tool now. Yeah. Well, if that's the end game, then I think just a 2% more of him saying that or admitting that or implying that even because I'm not really sure exactly what he wanted besides to menace them and have James Bond be feel the weight of them being menaced. And all that was very effective and scary and moving and everything that it needed to be. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you could solve my problem with a line of dialogue or two lines of dialogue or, or something like that. It wasn't a big deal. You certainly, you certainly felt the weight of his, how scary he was and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never actually said my baggage about James Bond, so let me put a pin in the discussion of this movie real quick. My baggage with James Bond is I was in a hotel room with my family on some kind of a summer vacation or something like that when I was a kid, and For Your Eyes Only was turned on, Roger Moore's classic work of cinema, and I remember being really offended by it or um, feeling a little brutalized by by it, because there's a pretty famous scene in the movie where... James Bond has the bad guy on the ropes and then in a very James Bond move, he just kills him. The guy's like, his car is teetering on the edge of the cliff and James Bond walks up and the guy's like reaching out his hand for help and then James Bond just kicks the car. This, this movie actually has a tribute a nod to, that, to that. A nod yeah. to that. And I had never seen anything like that from a, a hero before and it just, it stuck with me and it bothered me. Like, that's not how heroes are supposed to behave and to have the bad guy down and then not for him to at least reach for his gun or something before you kill him. It's just like, it was the first time I remember being really conscious of that. And it really sort of, I want to say, I don't don't have a better way of saying it than it afflicted my conscience or something. I was just like, why is this guy so cold and nasty? And I don't think I saw the whole, in the context of the movie, the bad guy killed one of James Bond's girls or something. Like he's 
James Bond has a very personal reason to, it makes a certain amount of sense in the movie, I guess. But for my, my out of context viewing, he just had this random henchman on the ropes and then he just kills him. And it was like, started a sort of morbid fascination with James Bond. And then I remember watching GoldenEye and some of the old ones and being torn between thinking they were awesome, but they all are also pretty boring and slow for a kid, especially a kid raised on Indiana Jones and Spielberg and all the people who took that those same tropes and did them faster. Mm. There's a lot of, here's James Bond. He's in a, in a Istanbul. Isn't Istanbul pretty? There's mm-hmm. just a lot of that tour, tourism stuff in those old James Bond movies. And it's nice. I, I actually would like it better now, I think, than... Like now I'm like, oh, cool. That's what Istanbul looked like in the 60s. That's interesting or or whatever. That that kind of aspect of it is actually really entertaining for me now. But it, but they are still slow. And then Bros, Brosnan. Yeah, that's his name. I remember seeing his movies in the theater and they were fun. I, I, I enjoyed them. I had a VHS of Goldeneye and I personally, in order to be allowed to own the VHS, went and recorded VHS Snow over all the bad parts of the of which there are many because that's the one with what's mm. her face <laughs> the the lady yep zina on the top who gets killed in the helicopter thing and yeah james Bond says she always did enjoy a good squeeze after she gets strangled to death it's good stuff anyway and then i remember really liking the first daniel craig movie when it came out like oh it did you know it did excite me like we've successfully reinvented this character and brought him into the 20th century and it just seemed yeah. fun casino royale as a movie as we've been talking about does not really hold up very well especially because there's these internal <sighs> terminable scenes of the simplest texas hold'em being explained mansplained yeah. i dare say yeah because they have vesper there and she's like what's a tell I, yeah <laughs> well you see it's you know when right. somebody gives away that they're bluffing because you've got to, does everyone have a tell? Yes, everyone has a tell. And then the final thing is like, does James Bond have a royal flush or does the villain have the other impossible? Yeah. It's, and it's like, yeah. It is the worst. Guys. I mean, poker in movies usually stinks. It's usually simplified to the point of treating the audience with contempt. But that is a new level so of, we, we don't think our audience has ever watched any Texas Hold'em on TV. When everybody- and yet, the whole reason that we put the, all the Texas Hold'em stuff in here is because of the wild online Texas Hold'em, and it's now a sport that you can watch on ESPN, and everybody in college is playing it and trying to make money on it, mm. and- Yeah, it's just so, so utterly contemptuous of the audience in some really stupid ways. And by the way, it's Baccarat in Casino Royale, the book, and it doesn't, and I don't understand Baccarat. I never have. I never will. The book explains it. I still don't understand it. It doesn't matter. It's about the emotions of the characters, and you can always sort of tell what's going on, and, you know, it's just, does Bond get a high card, or does he get a low card when the guy moves his little card paddle over, and it's fine. It's fine. You don't actually need to understand the cards, and it's kind of better if you don't. In, for my money so they, they do a good job with those scenes like the the tension between mads mickelson who's obviously a fantastic actor and yep. all that stuff is good but yeah and then quantum of solace was a massive disappointment and we've already talked about the franchise but i do feel like i grew up with this character and he did like ben was talking about he sort of got grandfathered in for whatever reason like those movies are just kind of in the same camp with like Clint Eastwood movies and 
you know, it's a dad movie. It's a Saturday morning. It's on TV. It's a dad movie. And I don't know why they get a pass. I mean, I do know why they get a pass, but because they're a lot of fun and there's a lot of fun stuff in between the other stuff. But man, there's a lot of other stuff in those in those old movies, uh, in particular, the Roger Moore era. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like you were saying, not very helpful. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan either. Is, uh, he's less. He's less that, but. Yeah, the trajectory I through guess. the 90s and the 80s. Kind of. Maybe yeah. not. Well, Pierce Brosnan, again, he's trying to. Trying to do both. She's trying to do both. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, we have to have some eye candy. Well, all also... you're going to get is Judy Dench tis tisking. Right. That's the counterbalance. And He's going to do all the things, but we're going to have Judy Dench there tis tisking him and calling mm-hmm. him a misogynist, a dinosaur. misogynist dinosaur and crap like that. That's right. right. And then Craig, by that metric, is relatively sophisticated because they do play the character as those traits being there, those traits being self destructive. Judy Dench disapproving, but we don't have to have like a, well, James Bond, I think you use women and then discard them. And actually, Craig does have a little bit of that in Casino Royale, doesn't it? But it's not so intent on explaining to us why James Bond is politically incorrect, but our movie is still somehow okay. So yeah, that's my baggage. But I promised people a, a franchise overview real quick. So, can I talk about Ian Fleming real quick before we get back, before we take the pin out of the No Time to Die? Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So, Ian Fleming, really interesting life. Born 1908, lived until 1964, born to wealth and privilege. And like Spielberg, like a lot of people we end up talking about on the booking and on uh, Sanity at the Movies, he had a really strict father and a wild child, creative, bohemian mother. That's the, this is like a classic trope for creators in the 20th century for whatever reason, and particularly creators of fantastical entertainments. His father, Valentine Fleming, dies in France in 1914 when Ian is eight. Ian goes to Eton College. Again, he comes from wealth. He comes from privilege. He's basically like a, a downtown Abbey aristocrat kind of a guy. The, the last generation of any of that stuff, of gentlemen's clubs, of, of a lot of the things that he finds a way to recontextualize and make popular through James Bond, mm-hmm. but that don't actually exist that much anymore. So he goes to Eton College and doesn't do well, wins a bunch of athletics prizes, is a bad student. One of the stories that they tell is that his housemaster was a bit of a sadist. Don't know what, it, what exactly that means, but doesn't mean anything good. And they say uh, people like to speculate that a lot of his more sexually depraved villains with creative tortures and stuff come from this guy. Ian Fleming kind of putzes around, doesn't know what to do with his life, applies for the foreign office to become a diplomat because that's what a guy from money would do in this era. And ends up going to Austria, learns three languages, learns how to ski, learns how to seduce all the local girls, but he doesn't get the job. So he's like this kind of layabout gentleman kind of guy who who just doesn't, can't make up anything of his life, but everybody likes him and he's very fun and clever and he's good with the ladies and all that kind of stuff. Where he makes his mark is he becomes a journalist with Reuters and learns the Hemingway, what we think of as the Hemingway style, really direct writing and becomes a foreign affairs journalist. So he goes all over the world. This is before World War II and sees all these places. He goes to Russia, actually asks if he can get an interview 
with Stalin, but is told that Stalin by Stalin's office that he's too busy. So he's just this very brazen, becomes this very brazen man of the world who goes to all these places, experiences all the local flavor, all the local culture, and develops an appreciation for it. Hates Russia, though. Hates the communists. Hates the drab, dreary coldness of, of, of that, which is obviously, obviously plays into the James Bond narrative. When World War II breaks out, Ian Fleming's mother writes to Churchill and says, my son's a really talented guy and a good writer. You should do something with him. That makes its way down to Admiral John Godfrey, the director of naval intelligence. And he basically hires Fleming for no particular good reason besides just personal connections to be his personal assistant. And Fleming becomes a commander in the Navy. Again, didn't really deserve, deserve it, but got it and did awesome. And there's all kinds of stories. There's all kinds of classified stories that we still don't know. But apparently Fleming was quite influential in naval intelligence and in all these kinds of people like to speculate about the espionage. What we do know is that he had a team that was assigned to him that would infiltrate Germany and occupied France and stuff like that. Fleming did not go with them, but he would dream up these assignments and they would go in and they would get intelligence and they would go on these weird missions. We also know that Fleming wrote a lot of memos with a lot of crazy schemes that feel very James Bondian in retrospect for how we could introduce a bunch of Reichmark into Germany and deflate their currency, which is something that Goldfinger later did. We could, could we get a fresh corpse from the hospital, dress it up in clothes, drop it behind enemy lines with a bunch of like as if it's just a dead one of our dead airmen, but put a bunch of fake information to to throw them off Hmm. he's always coming up with plans like that and they all have these awesome names like operation sledgehammer and operation ruthless and all this stuff so he did have some some real james bond experiences although never as the guy with the boots on his ground but he was just very very clever at coming up with these plans and these schemes to get intelligence and very effective and very loved in naval intelligence ends up answering churchill's like when churchill gets urgent intelligent communication they just turn it over to fleming and he answers it for churchill because that's the kind of trust and the kind of he was the guy that sir john godfrey godfrey who was in charge of naval intelligence trusted like godfrey said if i died at least i would know that ian knew there's one guy it's my personal assistant and he knows everything and can do everything so Ian Fleming is actually closer to like the way that Money Penny is portrayed in those movies, and Godfrey is obviously who they say M was based on, uh, at least the way that he's portrayed in the novels. They had a good relationship, though. You know, the best of the way that, and, and it was kind of like Godfrey's this old school kind of Rafe Fiennes type character, and Ian Fleming is this very sarcastic, sardonic kind of distaste for authority kind of guy. So, so surprisingly, a lot of the things that you'd want Ian Fleming to be, he really was. You know, oftentimes you read about Raymond Chandler and he's like this boring guy that was an oil businessman and never solved any big private eye cases. But Ian Fleming. More than the Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Huh. But Ian Fleming, I think about as, as much as anyone, short of Hemingway driving a hot ambulance and shooting Germans and stuff. Ian Fleming is like he had the lifestyle that you'd want for the guy who created James Bond. He also interacted a lot with the 
gadgetry of espionage. And there was, Britain had a lot of stuff that they would do. Like one thing that I read about was um, they had a map that just looked like if you got dropped into Germany and you were captured and they overturned your pockets, they would find a handkerchief. But if you pee on that handkerchief, that handkerchief will suddenly show you a map of all of Germany because the acid interacts with it or something like that. So they had some real gadgetry, which Ian was intrigued by and trying to, you know, suggest things for. But when the war's over, that period of his life is just done. He's dismissed from service and honorably, but no more of that. He then becomes, gets a job with the Sunday Times as their foreign manager and their travel writer. And that's a more James Bond job than you might think, because as foreign manager, he's interacting with all these journalists in foreign countries, many of whom came from the intelligence community in the war. So he's, he's still got a foot in that world. He's also just got a foot in the jet-setting world of traveling to all these places, having an unlimited expense account, living you know what we think of as the, the James Bond life, lifestyle as a travel writer. And as someone who is, he is credited d- during that time in his life with as much as anybody helping to introduce the new consumerism of the post-war world. Like Ian Fleming was just good at writing about cars, writing about travel, writing about the finest luxury items. Like he, he really was a great consumerist and a great uh, evangelist of consumerism. And that was what he did for his day job when he began to write these James Bond novels. And he settled in Jamaica, built himself a home called Goldeneye in Jamaica, named after Operation Goldeneye, which was one of the crazy operations that he was part of, right next to Noel Coward's house, and started writing what he claimed would be the spy novels to end all spy novels. And they pretty much were. I mean, he invented this character, James Bond. And what's fun about those books, if you can say anything's fun about them, what was boring for Ben about those books Mm -hmm. and what is boring about those books. But what's also fun about them is he was just very well versed in this lifestyle. So if he wrote about a location, if he wrote about a cigarette, if he wrote about a restaurant, if he wrote about a martini, Mm -hmm. if he wrote, he, he knew his stuff and he could add the verisimilitude, both of Relatable details like Bond's just going to smoke a lucky strike or something. And so every man smokes lucky strikes and can see himself in Bond and it helps ground. But also the th- all the sort of creature comforts that are beyond all of us, which was huge for post-war Britain was so depressed and such a glum, terrible place to live. Just the fantasy in the late 50s of of this character who could just go everywhere and drive the nicest cars and wear the nicest clothes and have the mm-hmm. best babes. and was really, really, really powerful for people. And the novels were immediately successful. Famously, John F. Kennedy listed from Russia with Love as one of his favorite novels in a Life magazine spread. And that set off a craze in America, which then became the James Bond movies when Saltzman, Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli brought the rights from Fleming, a Canadian and an American, by the way. James Bond has never been owned by Brits, the Brits? Huh. ever. The Broccoli Corporation is American. And so the Brits do own him emotionally. He's usually played by a British guy and we incorporate some British culture. And you might remember at the whatever the British, the Olympics were that were in Britain during Daniel Craig's tenure, Daniel Craig performed as James Bond at in the Olympics open cer- opening ceremony and 
went and escorted the queen to her seat and all this stuff. So he's kind of owned as a British character, obviously, and his creator was British, but his popularizers have never been Hmm. British. There was a lot of controversy about James Bond from the very beginning. Critic famously said Fleming's Fleming's formula is sex snobbery and sadism. And uh, I'd say that's pretty accurate. But emphasis on the snobbery. There's a lot less sex and sadism than you might expect. And there's a lot more snobbery. Just like this was the food that James Bond ate. Sure is better than any food you'll ever eat. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And that is really the experience of of reading a James Bond novel. And if you like that sort of thing, if you can put yourself in that fantasy and enjoy it, then you'll enjoy them. If you are put off by it. Why are his martinis shaken instead of stirred? They should be, in my humble opinion. Stirred. Stirred. Yeah. So there has to be a reason for them to be intentionally bad or isn't there or maybe we don't know the answer i don't think we know the answer i think we know that that's how fleming liked it personally personally but i think i think fleming's wrong Um, everybody agrees that fleming's wrong and it's uh, i just assumed until more of this fleming context that fleming was maybe just more of a working class guy who got it wrong and that's okay, you know. No, whatever. Fleming was famous for getting now. everything right except for weapons. Fleming was always bad on weapons and people would write in and say that's not how that would work. But Fleming Fleming is like his claim to fame is that all that stuff is absolutely correct. And he, he would but he do got, a lot. But he got the vodka martini wrong. Yeah, well, vodka martini is partially James Bond's drink because the movies had a deal with Smirnoff. So I don't know that in the books, James Bond is just a vodka martini guy. And as far as shaken, not stirred goes, you can argue for that snob cocktail snobs will. I don't think that it actually, it could bruise gin, but it's not going to bruise vodka. What it's going to do is make it colder and more diluted, which is fine. If that's the way you like it, it's also going to make it cloudy. So as far as appearance, the reason I would never personally shake a martini is because it's going to make it look bad. It's going to make it look murky in the glass. Mm-hmm. You want to shake it up or sorry, you want to stir it for a long time, get it really cold, get a lot of that dilution actually, because the dilution is, you want the dilution. You don't just want to drink a glass of pure alcohol unless you're an alcoholic. But but the Vesper, the famous recipe with the Le Blanc and all that is, mm-hmm. is a really good cocktail. And a lot of the cocktail stuff in James Bond is spot on for, for, for this amateur mixologist's opinion. I guess we should say closing up Fleming's life when he got old, he got sick. He wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang basically from his deathbed and people love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So that's a, sometimes people forget that's an Ian Fleming creation, but it is. I don't know that I really love or feel one way much or the other about Chitty Chitty. You guys big Chitty Chitty Bang Bang heads? Nope. Don't care. No, don't care. Child catchers kind of. Yep. Ian Fleming was, as I said, did live James Bond's sex life to a large degree, treated women as objects and uh, had a lot of them. Had a wife who he was kind of in and out of love with and uh, she despised James Bond. She was embarrassed by it. She wouldn't let him dedicate the books to her. She called them pornography, but they had this tempestuous relationship where they'd be arguing and then they'd be passionately in love and then she'd be not there for a while. And But his lifestyle finally caught up with him and he died fairly young. Let's see, I said 2000 and, or 1908 to 1964, so that would put him in his 
late fifties. Late fifties. He was told to stop drinking and stop doing all of his carousing and stuff like that. But he would rather live life on his terms than live it on the terms of some doctor. And so he died. And died before the release of Goldeneye, which is arguably the movie that really solidified Goldfinger. Sorry. Yeah, well yeah, he, he died say. before Goldeneye. <laughs> no, before Goldfinger, which is the movie that where they really just cracked the form. Doctor No I'd say Doctor No and especially from Russia with Love might arguably be better as actual movies. But in terms of here's a movie with a James Bond, you know, it's gonna start with the action scene and then it's gonna have the song and it's gonna have the dancing girls during the song, and it's gonna be a killer song, and then it's gonna be he goes to the office. He gets the mission. There's going to be the first girl. She's going to die. Then there's going to be the second girl. He's going to banter with the villain. Then there's the big second act action in terms of all the, he's going to say Bond, James Bond, like all the stuff, the whole formula, Golden Eye or Golden Finger, sorry, is the one that really set that in stone. And they've just been re- replicating that ever since or playing off of it or responding to it in, in the case of the Craig movies. But Gold Goldfinger is the formula. and James, Ian Fleming died of just a few months shy of ever seeing it. Um, he famously did not think that Sean Connery was right for the part, but Sean Connery, but then he asked all the women in his life, like, what do you think about this guy? And they said, oh yeah, he's right for the part. And Ian Fleming was like, okay, I defer to you. As far as, far as why James Bond is popular and why it caught on, what Ian Fleming was doing differently in the context of that time, I think a lot of it was Britain was such a de- drab, sad place uh, just the fantasy of this character that could do anything and go anywhere was fun for people and i don't know i watched this uh great courses guy this old like uh, harvard guy talking about what he thought why why james bond was such a durable hero and what he i thought he made a nice point which is interesting in context of what the craig movies did but i guess this is as good a time as any to bring it up which is james bond is he, he said James Bond is basically just a series of encounters with surrogate father figures. And so the basic scene in James Bond is either he's going into M's office to get dressed down or to be given a mission, or he's about to be tortured by a villain. And the villain is monologuing to him mm-hmm. before he tortures him. And the guy said, there's no, especially for the time, there's no British schoolboy that could, that put himself in James Bond's shoes because they'd all been called to the office for a caning or paddling or something like that. And they'd had a father figure monologue to them before torturing them, quote unquote. And so that's what that's all about. That's why it's so resonant. That's why we love villains monologuing, you know, as as much as the Incredibles and Austin Powers and all this stuff is we're going to make fun of the villain monologue. It's not a trope that we would ever actually do without and it's key to james bond's success and to what makes him relatable it's that kind of weird paternal relationship where james bond gets a chance to kill his father and you know but also really please his father the other thing this guy said that i thought was a good point is james bond is a loose cannon he is in many ways a vigilante and a killer but he's always tethered to some kind of responsible authority or at least traditionally and this yeah. is, craig craig is craig, an interesting response craig- in his own way. In his own way, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and then what this guy would argue is we like that. We we want a guy who we know is just anti-authority enough to get the job done, but also has some kind of restraint on him. It's actually a more appealing fantasy than a pure vigilante. We like knowing that James Bond is on our side and that there are some constraints on him that he cannot just do whatever he wants. We want him within the context of the story to do whatever he wants, but we want to kind of know 
that there's a larger structure. You know, he's a loose cannon, but that loose cannon is anchored to a big ship, and that ship is Britain England. or England. You know, yeah. it's and we like that, and that is the template for 20th century heroes. Actually, whether it's Iron Man, whether it's Captain America, whether it's I think arguably traditional stories of Batman are that way, even though there's no actual tether. It feels like Batman is tethered to Jim Gordon and to Gotham's. He's kind Mm -hmm. of a city father in his way as Bruce Wayne. Dirty Harry. I mean, Indiana Jones in his way. Like the traditional hero could be a vigilante or could be just an aristocrat. But James Bond kind of helped pioneer this weird hybrid where – the guy has all the appeal of a vigilante, but he also is actually part of and a representative of the system. James Bond is James Bond gets to simultaneously be the man and fight the man at the same time. And that's actually a much more appealing fantasy figure than... Or serve the man and fight the man. Yeah, serve the man and fight the man. There's always going to be a man for him to serve. You, you, you actually want to know that Judy Dench ultimately approves... And some of the best scenes with Ray Fiennes are the scenes where, like, in every movie, Ray Fiennes is going to, he's, like, going to say a bad word or something. Like, oh, yeah, Ray Fiennes gets it. You, you, you kind of have that, like, he's an authority figure, but he's also ultimately happy, you know, and on board in the places where we defy him. It's, like, it's, like, it's what he would have done and it's what he really wants. And but then you have the the bad authority figures that James Bond has to, you know, the the fathers that he has to kill the gold fingers and the, the the boring old men that want to monologue about their plans for how the world's going to be better and then spank you. And James Bond kills those guys. And that's an interesting thing to think of in relation to the Craig movies because I don't think that the bad guys in Craig movies are mostly father figures. I think they're brother figures. They're all brother figures, yeah. all of them. Yeah, hmm. which is really interesting. And I think a, a Except change. Except for Mr. White. Except for Mr. White. And Mr. White ultimately ends up being a somewhat sympathetic father figure yep so that's james bond the only other piece of sort You're of content in a hurricane mr bond. You're a kite in my favorite line my favorite bad we recorded this just for the trailer You're a kite in a hurricane mr bond the only other context i want to give about james bond real quick before we talk about this movie is you have to understand him in relation to the sexual revolution and i think as one of the primary sort of icons of it and an important icon i mean i think james bond if you were to name if i was to ask the random person like who is the promiscuous literary character or or who i don't know how what a better way to ask the question on the street would be but who's the guy who's had a lot of women or who's the guy who sleeps around or who's the guy that says free love is a thing i I don't know i mean it just has to be james bond i mean who else would you even name who's the ultimate playboy hero it's james bond i mean he is just that and intentionally so and you have to understand him as hitting in the context of the sexual revolution so if you just think about the the benchmarks of the sexual revolution i mean if you think about i got a little timeline here so condoms affordable latex condoms invented in 1916 the pill first oral contraceptive approved in 1960 uh 1965 is griswold versus connecticut which is basically establishes the right of privacy, the right for married couples to use contraceptives and for no state law to go against that and establishes that there is this thing called right to privacy and apparently it's constitutional. And really, this is the landmark case because Roe is just Mm -hmm. comes out of this, built off that. 
So that's that's actually where the culture really changes. That's 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 the name we should actually know is Griswold versus Connecticut, nineteen sixty five, because Roe is really just downstream. But the the two names that you kind of have to understand, and I won't make this into a sexual revolution re- lecture, but Alfred Kinsey in 1948 releases his book sexual behavior in the human male we're all big fans of alfred kinsey because he's from bloomington well, he's from jake's alma mater yep indiana university indiana mm-hmm. university and they have a alfred kinsey building institute at, institute yeah for sex gender and reproduction i think right and it's a horrible it's horrible demonic place that we've all been to or walked around big porn collection and right all kinds of stuff the kinsey reports I don't look into them, but I mean, the dude had some really debauched stuff. He talked to debauched people who carried out sexual experiments on children. It's it's gross stuff. It's gross. It's stuff. gross stuff. <sighs> but what the, what it claimed to do, and it became a big bestseller in 1948, and then five years later, he released one about women. So it's sexual behavior in the human male, and then sexual behavior in the uh, human female. What it claimed to do is say, "This is how we've always been. This is what's actually happening in our bedrooms." Yeah. And and so he's giving us all these stats, which are basically just made up. Like 69% of US men had been with prostitutes, 10% had been homosexual, 17% had had some kind of an experience with animals, all this stuff. And he he basically just invented these stats because he he found what he was looking for because he interviewed yep. thousands of prisoners of sexual deviants, of known child molesters, like he cooked the books. He cooked the books. And then he said, "This is the normal behavior that we all hide mm-hmm. and let's stop being hypocrites. Right. And he is the father. I mean, he is called the father of the sexual revolution. And I think it's true. I mean, the other At least of, the scientific father. Mm-hmm. At least the scientific father. And then the <clears throat> sort of, and this is where we get back to James Bond, because the man who called himself Kinsey's pamphleteer, this was his name for himself, was Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner was a young man in the 1950s. He read these, the Kinsey reports, said, hey, everybody likes having sex and everybody's just as debauched as I am. So I'm going to start a little magazine called Playboy and it's going to get really popular and it's going to mainstream pornography and it's going to have a bunch of uh, beautiful women. But my job, my, my stated mission, my mission that I articulate to myself is I'm going to take the Kinsey reports and I'm going to popularize them. I'm going to be Alfred Kinsey's pamphleteer and that's exactly what he does and Hugh Hefner is a genius an evil genius a true evil genius because he manages to connect all this stuff to a sense of class and upward mobility and <laughs> yeah uh, yeah amazing and, yeah and it's amazing just, it's amazing it's just like old school sexual debauchery but he connects it to class which is so much smarter than like penthouse or some of the things that are downstream of playboy because playboy is selling an entire worldview an entire fantasy it's not just selling yeah, it's it's big houses and cool cars and right beautiful women right and so that begins to hit in the late 50s it sexual revolution we can talk about all that stuff that combined with the pill in 1960 combined with all this stuff but james bond if, if playboy is the face of kinsey then james bond is the face of playboy i mean he's not technically the face of playboy like hugh hefner didn't have a deal with him but the women in the James Bond movies, while they don't take off all their clothes in the movies, at least that we're allowed to see, they usually would do a spread in Playboy magazine. So you could take your son to the movie and then you could, as a dad, you know, dad could buy the magazine and, and see the things that the movie didn't show you. And James Bond is just the perfect avatar of this lifestyle. And it's combined with so much fun stuff that young boys like that 
I just think I'm not being hyperbolic when I say <laughs> James Bond ruined our culture. I mean, he really is the icon, the avatar, and the promoter, the evangelist of of all this stuff. Playboy may have been a good pamphlet for Alfred Kinsey, but there's a lot of people that weren't going to buy Playboy still. But everybody saw James Bond movies. They were just ubiquitous. I read a stat in researching this that like half the known world has seen a James Bond movie. It's insane, the popularity of these things. And I have sympathy for the popularity of these things because they're awfully fun. And if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you you hear that, you know, we all have our favorite James Bonds. And it's, it's easy for us to start to talk about the things we like about James Bond because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are likable about James Bond. Cars with ejector seats are awesome. And Q Branch is awesome. And foiling <laughs> villains with shark pits and eel pits and elect- chairs that electrocute their insubordinate employees and bad guys with cats. And it's it's all great. It's It's all a lot of fun. But there is this poison that's been mixed in from the very beginning. And one of the reasons that I don't feel as bad talking about the Craig movie is that the political correctness has caught up with them to such an extent that they can't do the same kind of poison that they used to, or at least they have to so thoroughly recontextualize it that they're actually not even allowed to have the same kind of flesh on display that they used to. Well, instead, it's got to be Bond's flesh on display. And... There's a reason why Daniel Craig thinks of himself as remaking James Bond into a feminist hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is insane. Yeah. The idea of James Bond and feminist hero. Because <clears throat> you watch like a Sean Connery movie and he's like, sorry, toots, we're talking about man stuff. And he slaps her on the butt and she leaves. Yeah, that, that, that's James Bond. That's real James Bond. And Daniel Craig has this weird task of maintaining enough of that to make the character <clears throat> cool and interesting and a good fantasy figure for guys. But also <clears throat> bringing him into the 20th, 21st century in a way that will be palatable. In a way that women want to go see these movies to see Craig. And by and large, I, he's been he, very effective. I think he's been more effective with women than with men. Yes. I think women like Daniel Craig is a, uh, and Daniel Craig's James Bond is a sex symbol far more than men like Daniel Craig as somebody they aspire to or want to be. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think from the shot when he comes out in the Speedo and actually does the Ursula Andrus thing in yeah. Casino Royale, I remember feeling a little betrayed by that. Like, come on, James Bond. You're you're the gazer, not the, the gay Z. I mean, I'm not saying that that was the, my proudest moment of mental <clears throat> cognition, but you, you do sort of feel like, Oh, you you want women to gawk at you? Like you 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 want to just be uh, emasculated in this way? It's kind of gay. It's kind of gay. A simp. Yeah, yeah. He's a simp. And it's, it's, it, Craig is on board with that experiment, and it makes him very popular in the press, and it makes him kind of emasculated. And and and, and yeah, this that's James- why his press tour right now has him talking about how he prefers going to gay bars. Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah, and that's that tells you everything you need to know about. Yeah. And they make a very, this movie is still has a lot of immodesty from both men and women because it's just a modern movie and they always do. But there's not anything that's sort of the old school cheesiness of uh, here's a woman and there's her body parts that D- James Bond used to do. Like we've leaned completely away from that and yet we'll do it to Daniel Craig mm-hmm. um, and he'll be happy about it and feel like he's empowering women and empowering himself somehow. Empowering all of us really when he, you know, has multiple Shirtless scenes. Shirtless scenes in this movie. More than any other 
Bond movie ever. And you say women like it better than men, and I dare say that's true. But I also think the more you push in this direction, the more you actually lose the women too. Because there's a lot of women that would prefer the more like, oh, he looks like a regular dude, quote unquote, dad bod of a Connery, who just looks like the best thing that you could imagine a real man in your life looking like. And I think that I dare say there's a lot of women that prefer the masculine cruelty of James Bond as a fantasy figure. But there's a reason why Fifty Shades was popular. Yeah, exactly. And in the Fleming novels, which I have read one or two of, the the thing is always that the woman is in some kind of a horrible, abusive relationship with the bad guy or, or just caught up in something. And then James Bond is portrayed as very gallant in the way that he extricates her from that. But he is cruel. He's going to be paid for it. Yeah, he's going to be paid for it. And that's, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but that, that is a fantasy that works for people. And Daniel Craig more and more actually moves the franchise away from that. And I think he's going to actually lose some of the sex appeal of the franchise. It's just weird. Like you can't defy the way that God made the world and have your cake too. You know, you, yep. you, it, they think we can have sexiness without any sexual components to it. What, what they're going to get is neither one ultimately. Yep. And Daniel Craig is just a, a stage in that sort of devolution, if that's the word I want. And, or if that's even a word. So that it, devolution. It is. Yeah. So that's James Bond. That's how James Bond ruins society. And um, there's a lot of things that I love that are downstream of it, Tony Stark. And, you know, I think really anytime you have to put up with easy sex in a movie, whether it's, James, whether it's Jason Bourne, you know, let's just talk about some of the movies that we've talked about, whether it's Batman, whether it's, I mean, James Bond was the first one to just assert, oh, that's normal. You know, mm -hmm. we're attracted to each other and we've spent a little time bantering. And so now we're just going to start kissing. And it's, it's weird to think that that wasn't happening before. That's so ubiquitous. To all the action movies I've grown up with. Right. And I'm not going to say that there, you, you won't find a movie before James Bond that... Cary Grant is going to do that sort of but thing. But Cary Grant, even, even Cary Grant, he's going to spend the movie seducing one woman. And it, it'll be very sexually charged. <laughs> yeah. But what Cary Grant's not going to do is just assume, oh, we should already be having sex, actually. We're obviously attracted to each other. And so... Let's just fall in bed, baby. Let's just fall in bed. He's going to spend all of North by Northwest. And obviously, they both want it, and it's very sexually charged. And North by Northwest is kind of an uncomfortable movie for that reason, and uh, wicked in some ways. But at least Cary Grant had to work through the whole movie and save her from Mount Rushmore and do all this stuff. Cary Grant mm -hmm. had to work for it. James Bond never did. And Jason Bourne never did. And Tony Stark never did. And Batman never did. I mean, those mm -hmm. guys, it's just assumed. Two beautiful people together? Yeah, especially if one of them's rich. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's Jason Bourne's the scene I'm thinking of where it's like these people hardly know each other. There's nothing there's nothing besides movie logic right now that gets these people together. But the movie logic is so powerful that I don't know that you even think that much about it unless you're doing a podcast about it. Like if we if we did a podcast, we'd talk a lot about that scene. But if I just watched that scene and there wasn't a kid that I was worried about near me, you know, if, if me and my wife just watched The Bourne Identity, I don't know that any of us, either one of us, would even question blink about that mm -hmm. also right maybe if they there was too much flesh on display my wife would cover my eyes or something but it would be more about the the bald-faced fact of the flesh than it would be about the story that the movie is telling is a story that we just accept as ubiquitous and that is the triumph of a kinsey you know not 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 saying we should change the culture but asserting oh this is well, that, always, this is always the way it was that scene is one that they echo in skyfall actually yeah 
you know, I, I always think of them as being, I connect those two scenes. Mm-hmm. With uh, Miss Moneypenny and giving him a shake Ex- or whatever. Exactly. He, he cuts her hair and dyes it. So we got a lot of hand to head contact. Mm. And then she's going to, you know, play with that tension and not let him buy and start kissing him. It's going to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And you, you're going to flip flop it mm-hmm. again because that's what bo- this era of Bond's going to do is reverse the script. She's going to be the one touching his face and right. shaving his stubble instead of cutting his hair. But. Right. Which is an old trick, by the way. John Wayne used to do it. Make the woman the the uh, sexual provocateur. Learn Bacall movies, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. It's an old trick to make it feel, make it go down easier. Like instead of having the man be the, the, so there's nothing new. All this stuff that they claim is so empowering is just stupid. James Bond also kind of invented, this is how you do a PG sex scene. I mean, just the, this is when you cut away. This is how much you can show. This is the metaphor you cut to. This is the metaphor you cut to, whether it's fireworks or a, a train going into a tunnel like in North by Northwest, which is ridiculous, by the way, Mr. Hitchcock, you should be ashamed of yourself. But in the last shot of your movie, for crying out loud, there's a, you don't watch Marvel movie or, you know, anything that has any kind of a sexual tension or any kind of fornication that's not downstream of James Bond. Yeah, Marvel movies don't have it anymore, though. Right. They got rid of it after... Tony Stark. But I'll tell you that the What's-Her-Face is going to probably bring it back with Eternals oh. one way or another because they got uh, Harry Styles to play Eros, I understand. Yep. Brother of Thanos. Brother of Thanos. Yay. But that's just the that's just the post credit scene. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe they'll bring it back for the post credits. Hmm. Um, so, that all that being said, what do you guys think about that? No time to die. It was a really enjoyable movie to watch. And the first act was awesome. And the send-off was pretty cathartic. And the villain had a point of view that I felt as viscerally as I felt a villain, a villain's point of view in about anything that I can think of. And it was fun and quippy. And Craig played those parts with a lot. Yeah, this is Felt like he had fun playing the role and had fun sending off the character. And I, there's just a lot to enjoy and good action. And mm-hmm. there was not a lot to not like about it, except for the nihilistic world view of it all. Yeah. The, the legacy of the character is bad, but yeah, I basically agree. I had some questions about the villain, I guess, and stuff like that. But I don't know, Ben, what's your overall take on this movie? <clears throat> I mean, it was gripping. It's more gripping than any other Craig stuff, mm-hmm. for sure. I I mean, I found myself enjoying it and also thinking, this is, it's, it's overlong. It's not that well-written. It's not, it's it's just manages to be more than the sum of its parts, really. Mm-hmm. It has that something that makes it work. Yeah. It, because the parts, the, whenever I think about the parts, I'm like, I was kind of bored doing that. Uh, that gunfight actually was not particularly fun. Mm-hmm. The, the second um, act is... A- pretty big zero in my memory <clears throat> is that on jamaica i don't even remember i'm saying it's a zero in my memory once we get out of jamaica there's just a lot mm. of stuff that feels undercooked or overcooked or like they cut some scenes it's like yeah. m's mad at him but then they're gonna meet in the park and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they just shoehorn everything in and yeah. i i remember basically re- recognizing that yeah this is happening but also it doesn't make sense but i accept it mm-hmm. because 
Yeah. Because the because the pull of the movie <clears throat> the emotional We're tie up the loose end with Blofeld and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think setting up the movie the way they did with the prelude scene, mm-hmm. the flashback for Madeline Swan mm-hmm. <clears throat> made the whole thing have more heft. Yeah, it basically starts with a horror movie scene deserved. where yeah. Lucifer, yeah. Lucifer Satan wearing his mask shows up at this little girl's house and Kills hunts her, her through the snow. And it's, a, it's a really well done. And it, we've we've already been told this story, but we'd never seen it before. Right. And never seen anything like the horror of it. Yeah. And they play it for pure, like, it's pretty scary. He's standing out there in the woods. It's yeah. pretty creepy. Yeah. It's, it's a great payoff for the the dopey scene inspector where it's like, I know how to handle a gun. That's the throw off mm-hmm. reason why she knows how to handle a gun and but then to actually see it. Like right. and again, it's that like we're really gonna work hard to redeem Spectre here mm-hmm. of it all. So yeah, that whole that whole scene was awesome. Well, the whole sequence through the time point through the <laughs> stupid opening song, which wasn't that great by the way. But the Yeah. The uh, everything with the Vespers tomb and that all does all so that. much work and the car and he putting her on the train yeah it's great and it manages to do kind of the existential angst of poor james bond about as well as this franchise has done it, it gets at the best of the bits of skyfall or casino royale yeah it told you everything you needed to know even about how the movie was going to end mm-hmm. it told you that she was pregnant it told you it, it it did a good job of setting everything out on the table it was subtle about it but mm. All of those things were obvious if you, and if they weren't obvious when they came, they're obvious in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know if the movie ever quite achieves the heights of that opening sequence again, both in terms of action or emotion. The ending is good, but. Yeah. That, that opening He's sequence. untethered on the island. Mm-hmm. It's just him versus everybody. Does mm-hmm. some fun action. Yeah. I like that. All stuff. the way up to the end. Mm-hmm. I like how right. He finds he gets to leave. He finds the his daughter's doll, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna you know get the tension again. And yeah, well, one thing I suppose we should talk about the ending when we get there. Any other thoughts about the opening? The opening was this is awesome. It was a cool action scene, mm-hmm. um, and it did have some of that travel log. Just uh, where was he? Is that Spain? Oh, it was Greece. It was Greece. Greece. Yeah, 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 that's, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, but the best kind of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was glorious. You just felt the the weight of it all, and it added to the kind of melancholy and existential angst and a nice Vesper, you know, right way to handle Vesper in this story. Took the relative zero of his relationship with Madeline Swan in the mm-hmm. Spectre and gave it enough weight that everything that was going to come after played well. Yeah. And the action was cool. So, yeah, good scene. Then we have a really lame Billie Eilish song that doesn't do anything particularly well, which is too bad because this movie should the, the the good Craig movies have had good songs, but and the bad Craig movies have had bad songs so far. But this movie was a good Craig movie with a bad song because mm-hmm. I cause I actually like the Casino Royale stupid you know my name Soundgarden or whatever what, who's yeah that, yeah, that was fun uh, Chris, I can't remember uh, his name yeah yeah no I like that song that yeah, was I a like lot of fun song. and of course everybody loves Adele's Skyfall, Skyfall mm-hmm. song's pretty awesome but in between that we have the White Stripes for or Jack White for Quantum of Solace doing something yeah. completely boring and generic and then we have stupid Sam Spade or Sam Smith or whatever his name Sam is Smith. doing something yeah. pretty generic for R&B yeah Spectre 
Um, so nice try, James Bond did it, movies. Didn't Radiohead have... Radiohead had a pretty good rejected... Rejected? Which one was... Was it the Sam Smith one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think... Spectre song. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think Radiohead had a pretty awesome Spectre song. Yeah. That they threw away. Yeah. Idiots. Yep. All right, yeah. And then we have this whole uh, <laughs> sequence with... Everything through Felix Leiter. I guess that's the next big chunk of the movie. Through Felix's death, we have all the Caribbean mm-hmm. stuff, and uh, also really great in my opinion. Loved yeah. all of it. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, it sort of made me mad because I'm like, could you not have done one of these? Could you not have done one movie after Skyfall? Like, could Spectre have not have just been the fun Daniel Craig movie before you bring yeah. the curtain? Yeah, I mean the fact that everything with the American chick mm-hmm. was just really, really fun. Yeah, she was fun. Yeah. What do you guys think about the 007? Uh, what, whatever. She's zero. Yeah, whatever. they there was like some sop that they gave the masses. Like, yeah, it was whatever. I really did. I, waste of life, waste of time, waste of screen time, waste of storytelling space. Yep. Completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything is lame about her, including, including and especially when they give her a lame reason to kill that. The, the, the funny scientist guy. Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. They, they make him like say something, be an extra jerk so she can be justified. He has to say something racist. Right. Something about genocide, basically. Yeah. It's like I could kill all the black people in the world yeah. if I wanted. And then she's and like, what time is it? Time to time die. To die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's, she's, she's pretty lame. And, and the whole like, Whoever thought it would be fun for him to not be 007 for the whole movie and then give her a moment where she asks for him to get his 007 oh, designation yeah, back. That guy needs to be thrown into that thrown vat into of, a vat of acid. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, and also I, I think, man, I'll just say again, it's such a fundamental miscalculation of what women want. Actually, women don't all want to imagine that they would be a secret agent. They want to actually imagine themselves in the Madeline Swan role or in the, like, that's actually fun. That's part of the appeal. That's part of the fantasy of it all. And so Madeline Swan actually works as a woman in a James Bond movie in a way that this character just actually wastes every, everybody's time because men aren't that interested in her. And I think, ultimately, but what we have done is establish that there can be a female 007. Yay. She doesn't have to be James Bond, but she can be 007. Yeah. And we also did it with an actress that is a total zero so that we don't have to ever feel compelled to reincarnate or take the next step with this version of 007. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's, it's sop to political correctness and here, eat your swill, you SJWs, but I don't know that anyone... We did it, we tipped the hat, and nobody will fault us if we don't follow up on this. Right. I mean, we're, we're not even, we're even going to have her leave the island so that James Bond can actually do a good James Bond end, ending of the movie because we never needed her to be on the island in the first place. Yep. Yeah, she's a total waste of time and she made me sad. But, okay, so we're zipping through this. Anything else to say about the Caribbean section of the movie? I I would have liked the American chick if she hadn't been almost topless the whole time yeah, she's yeah, on that screen. Was the screen. It was like, this is fun, but I can't look at you. Yeah, was like... The, that you're really fun now. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I felt the whole time. I was like, this this is a fun, this is fun stuff. And yeah, it's still in service that of- had a lot of fun writing it. That's right. Mm-hmm. They had the, you know, it was just like, this is my one chance to give a sort of classic Bond girl yeah. kind of thing. And it's going to be funny and snappy and- 
and in classic Bond girl style, pretty immodest, right. which actually is classic Bond girl. Yeah, that yeah. was more classic Bond girl than anything else in this movie. It, yeah. Well, there was more classic Bond girl than any Bond girl in the whole Craig franchise. That's right, and we got her for one. Well, I, I would say uh, yeah. sequence. The other yeah. the other sequence that we get is the woman that he's committing adultery with, who's like in a bikini on a horse and Casino Royale. It makes me laugh because it's, oh, so, right. it's so lame. Like, hey, you like James Bond stuff, right? <laughs> here's some. Yeah. And now here's Craig in a Speedo to just show you how, you know, yeah. <laughs> we got something for the ladies too. It's all right. It's for all right. Inspector, we're going to seduce the old lady, widow. Oh, yeah. Lame. Of oh. Mr. White. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. and then Monica Bellucci. Yeah, that was yeah. This is like so much. We're gonna put strawberry fields and have her be covered in oil. Yeah, yeah. Just like they bad, have the, bad, the, bad. you. Hmm. You cannot redeem this character. You cannot find a way to play it both ways. You you just uh, th- it's not gonna work, guys. You, I know you're gonna keep trying until the end of time, and you'll make lots of money doing it. So I understand why, but. Y- you will never figure out a way to make this guy work. He is a fundamentally, uh, he's just written that way. James Bond, James Bond loses his James Bondiness if you make him not a conscienceless debauched. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Anyway, yeah. The Caribbean scene does have a lot of that. Uh, we rely a lot on Jeffrey Wright, as I alluded to earlier, to bring some weight and some pathos and some, and he does. Yeah, he does. He makes yep. you feel a relationship with Felix Leiter that, we never actually saw on screen in any of these movies. It makes you wish for the actual Felix Leiter and James Bond buddy movie. Yeah, if he had been mm-hmm. there to the end instead of New 007. Oh, yeah. Like if this movie could have been bought the Bond Leiter team up to the end and send them both off. Yeah, or, or if you have him just in the let boat with Madeline let, Swan at the exactly, end. Exactly. Let him be in the boat with Madeline. Let him, let him be the one who suddenly brings some daddy gravitas to the moment where mm-hmm. James is going to die mm-hmm. and he's got to mediate that for Madeline and for his daughter. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. It would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot better. The, o- the only, the only real problem with that is that you can't actually let lighter. doesn't let bond be the one who stays behind. Yeah. And in the movie, would really stretch credulity for that to have to happen. He would have to be what they would what they would do is they'd make him injured already. No, I think to I the think, point that he couldn't pull it off. They'd have to right. do something like that. Yeah. Otherwise, Leiter is going to be like, dude, you got a woman, you got a daughter. I got I got this, and there's no way around that. So he has to be critically injured. I mean, you could contrive a scenario where it's like Felix, I just need you to get my women away, please. Like, and and we both kind of understand I'm not coming back from this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you could you could make it work. Yeah, I, I did not just solve it just now, but you can make it work. So then you have the kind of lame middle section where it was like uh, we forgot to write exactly how Rafe Fines feels about this, but uh, you know he's Rafe Fines, so he makes it work, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the individual moments are all great. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we forgot to write a screenplay, uh... um, and that extends sort of through. Uh, Lucifer Satan shows up and menaces Madeline Swan, and she's going to mm-hmm. kill Blofeld, but then she decides not to, but then she kind of does. Mm-hmm. We just forgot to write a screenplay for that whole section, and <laughs> <laughs> it's all fine, whatever. But I like the individual scene. All the individual scenes are good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure why it takes Madeline Swan so long to realize that Lucifer Satan is the one that's 
sitting in the room with her. There's some kind of weird beats like she doesn't she's act- used to dealing with psychopaths right that's the only reason you're supposed to have right huh what one th- one so one plot thing maybe i'm dumb and you can clear this up for me quickly why does blofeld say when her secret comes out it'll be the death of you because her secret is just that she has his daughter i mean is that all that's it either he means her secret is that lucifer satan uh-huh. will always be haunting her or he means the secret is that she has a daughter. Those are her two secrets, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have said it because it was a good line in the trailer. As much it was as a good line in the trailer. But to me, it just didn't clearly connect with anything. Uh, uh, they were playing with the ambiguity the whole time of, is the secret, you know, Rami Malik, or is the secret the kid or both? Huh. Yeah. All right. The thing that I didn't get as as a plot point is why she decides to deny for about 10 minutes of the movie that the daughter is his. I felt like that made sense just in terms of mm -hmm. that's just who these two broken people are and what they would do or plausibly what they could do. She just, they both know it's true. She half-heartedly tells a lie because she just wants James Bond out of her life, but also she doesn't. But she doesn't. She told him to come there to meet his daughter. Did she tell him to come there? Yes, she did. She said, she she says, I'm going home and he's supposed to know where that is and she doesn't show up anywhere else and he does know where that is and that's a payoff from the very first scene of the, or uh, sequence of the movie where it's, where are we going? You decide, he tells her, you tell me where we're going to go mm. after I go do this thing and say goodbye to Vesper mm-hmm. and she says, home. They have a place. It's called home. That's where they were going to go next. That's always where they were going to go next. When she leaves him at with Blofeld, she says she's going to go home. Then she disappears. He knows exactly where that is. Huh. And so she told him and he came like she expected. And so there he is meeting the daughter because she invited him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's no. it, But it's like it's like she's going to make him work for it. In layers of before she before she totally trusts him. I don't know. It made emotional sense. She never not trusted him. It was only yeah. him not trusting her. Yeah, mm. but but it was so that she wouldn't be rejected again by him. There's just I can imagine a movie uh, where Lucifer Satan never, never shows up and it's just the drama and they're just hanging out at her house and mm-hmm. they're kind of he's kind of easing himself back into her world and it does actually kind of makes you could you could write that movie sure. and it would track. Also, they did it so that she could say it at the end, right before James Bond gets right. blown up. But <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's why, and that's why it feels like a contrivance. Yeah, it didn't. You know, mm. I mean, uh, we're on opposite sides of the contrivance meter on this one because I've, I've I wanted more of Lucifer Satan's plan and felt fine with the ambiguity of that, but you felt like the ambiguity of Lucifer Satan was good and wanted a little bit more of the relationship. I just didn't like the contrivance of, but the blue eyes, she has your eyes. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. come on, you could have done better than that. I, I care about if you're going to tell, if you're going to focus on the emotional beats of the story, I don't mind you underwriting some of the plot, but you better hit the emotional beats in a way that doesn't feel contrived and stupid. Yeah. And those are the parts that felt more contrived and stupid to me. And and so I, 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 I thought that Lucifer Safin or Safan or whatever, mm-hmm. his character 
he had a clear point of view. He had a clear motivation. He had a clear idea. He felt truly evil. Mm-hmm. His plan never got the big villain speech where we really understood what was going on with it or what the plan was. But who cares? Because the reality of his nihilism is really felt mm-hmm. whenever he's on screen and the unpredictability of him is felt. And so, okay, like I was willing to roll with that. But, and I really do think that the way he, what, what it does with Bond and, and Madeline Swan is really great. It's just like, I, I don't know, maybe I did forgive it the, hmm. the 10 minutes where we were pretending like he wasn't, she wasn't his daughter, but it felt like such a setup for that final moment. I just thought it, it felt stupid when that moment came. Yeah, that moment could have been stronger. I, I, I know what you mean. I can see that. I can see how. I can see. Mm-hmm. I can see why you feel that way. I don't. I did not feel that way. To me, it it just tracked. Like it just felt like. Oh yeah, that's that's the kind of weird coy. We both know we're lying, but we're gonna say it anyway. Sort of mm-hmm. thing that these two completely broken people would do. I can see that. I just. I, I felt like at that point in the movie we, they were pretty beyond that kind of pretense. Yeah, but they were just reestablishing trust after five years. I think the five years yeah. helps it. Sure. Like that James Bond yeah. just dropped out of her life. There is a sense in which he betrayed her, just like Mr. White betrayed her, just like everybody man has always betrayed her. I mean, yeah. Yeah. She it, understood, sure, rationally what his motivation was, but it's a little hard to come back relationally from. Yeah, but the, they played that side of things, I thought, really great. Like, he's suddenly being charming and she's like don't please don't pull your tricks on me and they have that little great sexual tension thing mm-hmm. going where they're working on reestablishing that trust and talking you know around around things and then the daughter kicks in you know what maybe i could give you this let's not say that she's his daughter at the end that's kind of silly okay yeah if we they as, don't as, do we, that we if they never as... acknowledge it yeah that's that's fine. That I can. That, I can that's a that's a our, the audience's <laughs> idiots moment. But, yeah, but I think or or it's either the audience's idiots moment or we made an arbitrary decision earlier so that we could try to amp up the what's already a cathartic moment right with dialogue in a way that's going to feel contrived and silly. They the whole thing is doom. The doom of these two characters mm-hmm. and the fact that they're not possibly going to be able to acknowledge the reality of love and trust again until the last possible moment. So maybe that's, that's too contrived, but it felt organic because of the con because of the way that they were in the movie. They just, they're not going to trust. We're not going to acknowledge. It feels broken, as contrived broken, broken, to me as the very broken. final scene of that movie where she's going to be driving down the curving highway and say, let me tell you the story of a man. His name is Bond, James Bond. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, okay, we have to get, leave our audience on a positive note. Um, that's silly. But the other stuff to me, I think I'm with Ben on, it, it just played like the kind of doomed existential poetry of this guy who's never going to find real love. And I don't know. I, I bought it. I actually liked it. I, I, I liked the fact that she didn't tell him. I understand where you can stand back and see the mechanical nature of that choice, but... I really would actually enjoy watching the movie where Lucifer Satan doesn't show up and 
they have to work through that and get to the point where she wants to just acknowledge what they both already know. Yeah, I think I'd enjoy that movie too. Well, what'd you guys think about James Bond having a daughter? Aw, she's got a little bunny. She doesn't even, she's not even the one that tells him. Malik's the one that tells him. Does he? Yes, he does. Oh, okay. In the tea room scene or whatever? Yeah, he tells, uh, he, he knows. He acts like they know. He's like your daughter, et cetera, et cetera. And then they have the, and then they play another reveal moment. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah. So it makes you feel like the movie's just silly. too, yeah, too coy and contrived about that. No, there again, I think if it was a little less coy with Malik, then that would help. I think if you, if he has a stated or a clearly implied motivation and end game, both in terms of his ultimate worldwide plan and in terms of exactly, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. He just wants the daughter to kind of, take his place as a young boy living in this poison garden and all this kind of stuff. But uh, does he want to kill Madeline Swan? Does he love Madeline Swan? I mean, I understand the answer is yes. He's a psycho. And he, and Rami Malek makes a meal out of that and does a great job with it. But I said to Jake in our texts is, you know, we always say, give us, give the audience two and two and give them the dignity of letting it make four uh, I feel like this is this was a great stab at that, but it felt like they gave us two and like 1.8 or something and then said, it makes four. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, well, yeah, sure. I guess it makes four. But if you could have given us two and two, that would have been that much better. But he was a good villain. Yeah, I like his poison garden. He felt a little bit more grandiose and a little oh, bit yeah. more. He was old school Bond. He was a little more James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my villain world. Right. Yeah. And it, you know. It didn't make sense or they didn't bother making sense of the fact that he could just single-handedly own Spectre. I, I actually thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it, well, it wasn't fun. I just think... It seemed a little too easy. It was a little was silly that, when, James, when James Bond walked well, into the Spectre, party. Well, Spectre deserved it. <laughs> And yeah. that's part of why you give it a pass, right? Right. Spectre like, oh, deserved it. Yeah, they always kind of sucked and actually Christoph Waltz wasn't as much as he thought he was and... <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell you a real plot. It was point. always me, James, the author of all your pain. I've been behind everything, and but this other random broken guy who likes to wear a kabuki mask or whatever can completely undermine me and kill every single Spectre agent at my snap- birthday party. For- at my birthday party <laughs> with the snap of his fingers. By the way, was Eyeball Guy working for Spectre, or yes. was he working yes. for Lucifer yes. Satan? Spectre, and then he got recruited. So for most of the spared. movie, he's working for Spectre, and he that's does right. not think he's working for Lucifer. Satan. No, that's right. No, okay, yeah, and that's and that that makes sense of the call with the scientist where Safin calls and is like, "They're coming. They think they need you. Go with them." Mm-hmm. And that's he's going with Spectre, basically a Safin's undercover guy. Okay, at that point, yep. so eyeball guy just actually is the one who thinks we need this guy. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yep. There you go. It all makes sense. Yeah, it does. Beautifully written. It really does. Shakespeare himself is plotting <laughs> from somewhere beyond. Um, uh, did you guys like the the super weapon? The, 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 the I, biology? I, the, I, the, I basically the, did. The nanobots I mean, or it's... I, I, well, see I, why they got queasy about it, but... Yeah, well, it feels... What? They got queasy about it? A part of the delay was not simply production and timing but distance let's get away from coronavirus oh yeah yeah there's a f- couple of unfortunate little parallel things in the movie but i didn't care too much i guess yeah i mean uh, i i appreciated that 
the nanobot poison is a wonderful metaphor for guilt and <laughs> and so yeah. I mean I mean and on on for for me I was like man this is an overpowered super weapon of course he could easily wipe out the world if he can do this but boy what a what a great metaphor for how Daniel Craig is doomed no matter because this poisoner is yeah gonna, I think I think know. as a metaphor it was fine and I was happy to give it a pass yeah. I think if you think for one second that. Ray finds his M would ever think that was a good idea. <laughs> like if you stop and think about it for half a second. Right. And the movie made you stop and think about it because it had oh, it Bond. Did. It wanted Bond to rub his nose in. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like that whole scene was ridiculous. Like it should not have happened because it pointed out how stupid a plot device that was as a super weapon. Because no, M never in a million years greenlights and heights a project like that. I think that's Bond movies blithely stealing the tropes of movies that are like about 10 years old because I think what they're doing there is the Marvel formula of we all pay for the sins of our father. Or the Bourne formula. Yeah. This agency created this and then hit it and now it's blowing up in their face. Right. And it doesn't make sense for Rafe. Rafe finds we've gone at great lengths for two Bond movies now to say this guy's actually really cool. Yeah, and, and he's a boots on the ground guy, and he's old school, and he appreciates the old school way of doing things. But now he's <laughs> been secretly developing something really evil <laughs> <laughs> that allows them to get away from the double O's because you don't need the double O's. You can just release, you just insta kill everyone no, you want. The whole, f- the really fun arc of Mallory in Skyfall <laughs> is that you think he's going to be that kind of a guy, but then he's just like a, a dude, and he's he pulling can't out pull his the own gun, gun and. and- yeah, and him and Bond are like, yeah, we understand each other. And it's it's kind of sweet in its silly James Bond kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, he's a guy that Bond could actually respect. Right. In the office of M, which, you know, they can have their differences, but Bond can respect him and know that he's not just some suit. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be a great dynamic for the rest of the franchise. Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, Daniel Craig's interpretation of his relationship with them is the closest to Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming, James Bond, is a M loyalist, if nothing else. And M is a pretty responsible father figure. And sure, they have their differences. And it's very much the Judy Dench relationship. And then mm-hmm. the good version of the Rafe Fiennes relationship. More so than the Sean Connery is just an annoying guy that gets things done and is going to, you know... We've got to deal with him because he's just that good. But he's going to come in the office and flout M's authority at every turn and kind of have all these silly scenarios where they were going to rescue James Bond and, oh, he's having sex with the lady and... On the boat. On the boat. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's not really Ian Fleming. That's more just the, the excess of the Roger Moore era. Anywho, so we all liked this villain guy pretty well. We had... yeah. He was scary. I, I do feel sad that we never really did get a father figure villain. And I think that is one of the things that would make Daniel Craig feel more like he'd actually done his time as James Bond. If we had a true megalomaniacal older man kind of guy, we really have gotten the same variation, the same sort of character every time, which is this kind of, he's just a shadowy reflection of James Bond. I guess Blofeld Inspector was sort of kind of that a little bit he's the most like that as the big brother right but the three good james bond movies have been lachif who's just on the other side of things and just a slimy rat operative kind of guy 
Yeah. And then who uh, gets what's coming to him. Yeah. And then Har- Javier Bardem, who is just James Bond. Yep. The bitter old yeah. left to die James Bond. Right. Who's ultimately, he, he doesn't, he didn't He's trust. been chewed up and spat out and he's learned the lesson that James never has, which is don't be used and chewed up and spat out by these people. Right. But you have to imagine James Bond in the same position. He'd go and hide out for a couple of years and then he'd come back and be like, what do you have for me to do now, Em? Because James Bond doesn't get bitter like yep. Javier Bardem. <laughs> and then kind of same thing. You have this guy who's just another slimy, broken operative, somebody who was destroyed by the system and decided he was going to be mad about it instead of do what James Bond does, which is be mad about it, but then do his job. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. So... We got to try to retcon James's motivation in this final one where he may never have had a chance. So he's going to work so that everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, but I, we kind of skipped past it, but I really liked that action scene with the Land Rovers or whatever they were. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That, that was actually that great. That was really fun. Really yeah. ethereal and haunted and just a cool use of environment. Yeah, and all the stuff in the woods. Yeah. Very different. Yep. Yeah. That was pretty great. And I love that. I love that it was slow and that James Bond was like, well, I have a problem and I'm going to solve it by doing this. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, mm-hmm. it never really ramped up into serious action mode, which maybe would bother some people. This movie was light on action for a James Bond movie, but. Was it? It didn't. It didn't I think you may be right technically, but it didn't feel that way to me. I mean, short of the motorcycle thing at the beginning, we never really have just an all-out pedal-to-the-metal extended sequence of James Bond carnage. That f- sequence in the final act when he's left alone on the island. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I liked I liked what we got a lot. I just thought it felt like we were one action scene, one big action scene shy, one Indiana Jones Chuck sh- Chase shy of a real action movie. The, you, the motorcycle the the bomb to the motorcycle to get the girl get in the car and milk that scene for some money and sit there and then get to the train that's all great yeah mm-hmm. the Land Rover stuff in the you really have four action scenes in this movie if I'm not if yeah, I'm counting I, correctly I think you're right yes, you, do. you have four big ones you have the opening scene you have yeah. the you have the big fun Five. fun shootout with the with the girl secret agent thing oh, uh, yeah. So, well, you've got the horror scene at the top. Right. But I don't count that as an action That's scene. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you have got, the boat scene with Felix. That's more of a suspense action scene. Yeah. You got the scene with the girl. You've got the Land Rover scene. You've got the two 007s infiltrate mm-hmm. the place. You've got, well, you have the bat- Spectre infiltrates and blows the whole lab to bits. Right. And does the magnets and the elevator stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess if you define action scene as as I do, <laughs> then you have less. Because I think in my brain, an action scene is I'm going to settle in now because the movie has communicated to me that this is the, this is the uh-huh. action scene. And so sure. I'm just going to have some fun with this yeah. action scene. You really, I would say you have four of those. You have the opening thing with the motorcycles. You have, have the scene with the girl where they're, mm-hmm. and then you have the, a Land Rover thing, and then you have the final shootout. Shootout, and all of those are really well done and pretty awesome. But I would say, in order for it to feel like you really get your action, your full action meal, maybe one more wouldn't hurt anything, or one more big one, or 
But it was good. It was fine. Yeah. It just didn't feel as much like an action movie as... As which other Bond? Well, let's see here. That's an interesting comparison point. So Casino Royale has opening brutal fight in the bathroom, which functions as a zone action scene, even though it's short. It has it's parkour. It's a little bit of a flashback scene. I don't, I mean, by the standard that you just said, I don't know that it. Okay, let's hold me to my standard. So parkour. Yeah. Airport truck chase. Yeah. And Venice. Is that really it in Casino Royale? I think so. For real? The stairwell scene. Stairway scene. Yeah, I think stairwell okay, scene fine. counts. Casino Royale also feels a little bit light or a little top heavy in the action. Sort of like this one does, I guess. Uh, Quantum of Solace, I'm just not even going to count. It does, I don't even, yeah, I don't think it it's counts. It's kind of all action and it's kind of no, no action. action. Um, and it just sucks. Skyfall, wonderful opening, train, motorcycles, trains, everything you want from a James Bond movie. Yeah. What's next? Uh, you got the big fight in, on the rooftop in Singapore, with the, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful. Silhouettes. Silhouettes. You have... Chasing, I guess the next big one is chasing Javier Bardem through the London Metro and all that. You do get a cool gunfight scene with Javier Bardem's guys. I don't know if you count that as an action scene by your standards, but to me, that the that counts as action when James Bond like real quickly yes. turns the tables on. Yeah, them. because yeah. I. But again, it's de- defining these things can be hard. Yeah, all these movies have action. But that was beats. just like a yeah. That's just an action beat. Like it's bang, bang, bang. Everybody's yeah. dead except for. Bardem and the helicopters are coming. Yeah, all I mean is that to me, subjectively, I'm like, when I think of the action in the movie, I count that as like a fun thing that it built up to. It's like a samurai moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, I, I love it. It's, it's just, not an extended scene. If we're thinking of things that go along like with... Like by Nathan's definition, settle in, we're in an action scene. Mm-hmm. That's not... That's not that well, count. yeah, I was going to my definition or the mm-hmm. way that I perceive action. Well, I think maybe we all sort of are caught somewhere in the middle because yes, uh-huh. it does feel like that that's an action scene somewhat but so really skyfall hmm. has four it has a big opening james bond train all that motorcycles it has uh silhouette fight si- silhouette fight it has chasing bardem through london underground to london and then it has bardem the, the home At alone the scene whole, yeah the home alone house. those scenes are so huh. long and developed and take up such a chunk of each one of them takes up a big chunk of the movie whereas this movie feels like i mean the the scene in jamaica was long the scene in jamaica is the one that's long and the opening scene is long the land rover scene is awesome but it's short and then i feel like we don't really get we we get that awesome one shot going up the stairwell Mm -hmm. really really brutal scene that ends with the watch best (laughs) gag in all of craig's bond well most uh james bond Mm -hmm. down to his uh, his there were a handful of them in this one but that's the only one i remember yeah. I remember when I thought I liked better, but I can't remember it. So yeah. <laughs> I just remember that I, I thought I liked it better. I certainly remember it really blew his mind. That's such a mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan. It was so good. Era, uh, <laughs> was that, so good. Yeah, that is a Brosnan. <laughs> I showed when, him your watch. I think it blew his mind or yeah. it really blew his mind or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's such a, that's a Roger Moore. That's, John Connery <laughs> would have been above that for sure. I, well, I just, I think to me, it's the definitive moment in Craig's Bond because he wasn't above it mm-hmm. and he and he delivered it with mm-hmm. some relish mm-hmm. like he put himself in, into delivering it well he really blew and the I, guy's mind I loved him for it yeah I mean to me it felt about on the level of Pierce Brosnan grabbing onto a bell when his hoverboard goes over a cliff and then saying <laughs> saved by the bell 
Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> when no one's around to hear it, he just says it to himself. He's like, you know what would be really satisfying right now is just to say to myself, save by, by the bell. bell. Yeah, that was great. But it was, it was, it was appropriately corny. I don't know. This, would you guys agree with me? This movie somehow feels like it has less action than, or, or less sustained action. Or I think, I think I would. If, I, no, it just feels to me like the second act is more bloated with nonsense. Yeah, you and know, it extends it. If it felt, if it were a little more trim and compact, it would feel more action packed no, without lengthening any of those scenes. I, I think I also, it gives us the best. It, the only comparable Bond movie is Skyfall in terms of its action. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think also the Skyfall has some has does not is not working with the, one of the disadvantages that this movie has. The, the disadvantage is being that 007 lady because anytime she's doing action, I'm like I don't care about her, and she gets a decent amount of action beats, and those are action beats that I'm not excited about because I'm like James Bond, a misogynist dinosaur. So a lot of that island infiltrating the fortress thing. Not a lot of it, actually, thankfully, but a little chunk of it, at least, is is her doing boring stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just don't care about her. I'm glad they got rid of her for the end. Yeah, well, they had to clear the stage. And that made, I don't know, I, I really loved the final action scene simply because they said, we've cleared the stage. This is the final time you're going to see James killing people. Mm. Buckle in. Here it comes. Mm. he's going to go through and he's going to kill the crap out of everybody. And it wasn't just the climb up the stairwell. It was running through the acid place Mm -hmm. and blowing up the lab. And I felt like they spent a good amount of time on it. And then they made him relive it when he had to, after he killed the sub boss, Mm -hmm. you know, he had to go and kill the boss again. And yeah, it was good. It was good stuff. Uh, By the way, those, those people, Really surprised to discover that they're all working in acid. <laughs> she drops Bozo the Clown scientist guy uh-huh. in and he dissolves. And then all the people are like, what? Uh, are we working in acid? Oh, no. And they all run. Weird. It's very silly. Plot hole, zero stars. This movie sucks. Maybe they'd just never seen someone dissolved in acid before and it freaked them out a little bit. But they were working for Lucifer Satan famed on his fl- famed flower poison island of death so <laughs> you'd think they'd be a little bit more used to that kind of stuff it was fun to see a james bond movie where a villain had a poison island of death and that is the other thing that i should have said about ian fleming is i think he basically created this style which everything does now and batman has done so well just the, the extravagant villain with a physical deformity and a grand plan and some gross sexual deviancy and some like just throwing all that stuff at the wall to make a really memorable yeah i think ian fleming probably more than anybody cracked the code on a great villain is what makes a a great hero actually and the more colorful and fun and over the top you can make them the better and and that's one definitely one of the appeals of james bond in all of his iterations from book to and and something that you know what else got that right what's that Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, Doug Ray Scrat. Really exciting stuff. Well, we have big speeches delivered at least three times that in order to make a hero, a great hero, you have to have a great villain. Mm-hmm. At least three speeches of, of that with their own bio weapon in that movie, which I think is the real comparison point for uh, No Time to Die. Yeah. Well, you know, Mission Impossible 2 sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so bad. It's so bad. You know, if the Mission Impossible... 
one thing that they will be they will be darned if they will give you a good villain. It's just always going to be like they, may, they, the they make Cruise a show. thing out of like our villains are just workmen. Like that's 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 their big trick, which is fun once or twice. I think it's fun with Philip Seymour Hoffman and the J.J. Abrams one actually. But man, their villains are always boring in that, and it's 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 one of the things that makes me not want to go back because. You don't just go back for the action scenes. You go back for the in-between stuff. You got to spend some time on the in-between stuff, Tom Cruise. Henry Cavill, fun sub. Henry, Henry Cavill yeah. was good. Yeah. I yeah. liked Henry He's Cavill. Fun. But that guy, I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this guy has a, he comes from a family of poisoners for crying out loud. Now, that's some James Bond stuff right mm-hmm. there. And he's mad because his family of poisoners got taken out by Spectre and you know, he gets to give speeches to innocent young girls where he describes the effects of such and such a flower and just, uh, yeah, that's what you want from a James Bond uh, villain. This, this movie, for anyone who is sensitive to little girls in danger, this movie spends, it's not for you. <laughs> spends a lot of time and enough that my wife was pretty thoroughly done with the movie midway through the third act because you just have to put up with a lot of come sit in my lap while I monologue and all this kind of stuff. So if that's a trigger for you, then uh, fair warning, this movie will be very triggering. But uh, yeah, I guess we've gotten to the big uh, thing. James Bond uh, gets poisoned with pots, as one does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, would you say that this movie was doing like suicide or was this supposed to be suicide or just death? They, 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 they did it well enough that it didn't make me feel bad, like from a Christian. I wasn't like, oh, he's committing suicide. But I guess you could argue. It given, was suicide. Given the logic of the movie, you could argue it was suicide. It was suicide. He didn't try to get off. He, well, and you could have um, stopped the missile at that point, actually. You've killed the bad guy. Although they, they, they did some legwork there with, this is our only chance to ever be in the airspace of the three competing nations. And Well, and the missile was already shot. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how many James Bond movies have we seen where they've uh, taken care of that problem one way or another? He was also gut shot. Like, I don't know. I, I felt okay about it. But uh, yeah. But, but he literally says, like, you've got 007 and Madeline and Q all think he, have, he has a chance to get off the island and are urging him to get off. Mm-hmm. And you've got the moment where she says, you've been poisoned, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And now she knows why he's not trying to leave. Right. So, I says it right there, in my opinion. But like Ben was saying, it works emotionally. It's like this character has been poisoned with the guilt of everything he's ever done. This guy did not deserve to have a happy ending. At best, he deserved the catharsis of a gloriously useful unhappy ending yeah it's like it's like the, the the fairest ending you can give him is that he learns to love right before he dies or something like right that, which is what you give him so i understand what you're saying jake it didn't feel like suicide to me it felt like this is my love life this is what it's if i'm going to be a dad i'd better learn that and love and love my family by dying because i can't be i, mean, a I guess dad. Suicide, i can't i can't be a husband i can't, yeah, I, be can't be. I, I am death that is what that's yeah, the only thing yeah, i was yeah. ever good at and in order to make room for my wife and my daughter to live, I need to die. Yeah, which I guess comes back to suicide, but mm-hmm. but in a way that didn't feel like it. Because it, it, it's... I, I yeah, get, I, don't, I don't think it felt especially bad, but that really is what it came down to. I will say, me and Jake, I think we're talking before Jake saw the movie, and he was saying, you know, one thing that the Craig movies have never done is give me any reason to want to be 
James Bond. Yeah. I think this movie does in its dopey, horrible, sinful, existential way. It actually does give you a little bit of the glorious catharsis of uh, heroism. You know, at the very end, yeah, you could argue it's suicide, but it works as a brand, broad, brand, brand, uh, a broad, grand. broad, grand metaphor for this man sacrificing himself and paying for his sins. And yeah, I'm not trying to be gospel coalition-y, folks. I understand that the movie is only barely touching on those things in the most stupid and sinful way possible, but it works and it makes emotional sense for the character and for this particular iteration of the character. And it was affecting. It was- Yeah, got me. Yeah, yeah. I shed a tear or two. Now I'm an easy mark for daddy-daughter stories because I just had a daughter six <laughs> months ago. So this movie did about the cheapest trick to, oh, crap, we need emotional investment. Ah, give him a kid. Give her a doll, you know. <laughs> Let dad die holding the doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, or okay. let's not make it so cheesy that he's actually holding the doll, but it's on his belt. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. He, he put it, it he stopped, put it there. It was on the belt because he was taking it back to his daughter, and there it is in the death shot. Well, and that, by that by that metric, they have done a great job with this iteration. They they took James Bond from James Bond to a guy who you believe and want him to pick up that doll for his daughter. So mm-hmm. I mean that's Craig Era wins, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah kind of. Like they they wanted to make this guy human and they did a good job insofar as you can, which the answer is you only kind of can, but they did their best. It's like, the, it's the least objectionable version of Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question of that. Yeah. There's yeah. no question that it's the least objectionable, objectionable version of Bond. It's, there's no question that it is the Bond that you could plausibly watch with the teenage son. Right. Yeah. There's certainly nothing else like you try and watch those old seventies movies no way, and you're no just way. gonna see body part after body part after body part. I mean it's just like it's there's no plausibility there. I'm not saying that people should or yeah, yeah, watch yeah. this, but there's some plausibility there. If you can if you think you can watch Mission Impossible or Born, yeah, then there's no reason or Batman. This is about on that level. It's right. about on that level in terms of anything that's sexually explicit. Now you may your daughter's is a different question. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a weird thing, but yeah. 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 Maybe just raise a daughter that sets her sights a little higher than Daniel <laughs> Craig's James Bond. Yeah. That's, that's, that would be my advice to all the parents out there. So gross. Yeah. This movie landed the ending. Did, did a fun job. I, th- I, I will say even for Daniel Craig's James Bond, this movie felt a little violent for me. Like there's just a lot of, him shooting the crap out of people in a fairly realistic way, which I don't know. Maybe I just was in the wrong headspace or something. But as, as far as warnings and caveats go, it's like, oh boy, this is really what we do in PG-13. Like that scene where he goes up the stairs, it's just like pretty realistic, grounded gun violence, which, mm-hmm. is, which is entertaining in its way. But Hey guys, you know what's really cool? John Wick. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is exactly right. And it doesn't feel that different than John Wick. Like you buy a John Wick ticket, you know what you're getting. You buy a James Bond ticket and then you get John Wick. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, you get more blood splatters in John Wick than then. Yeah, you know, spit. blood splatters don't bother me. Blood splatters are blood splatters. They're squibs that they put under somebody's shirt. It's more the, and I may not, I'm not 
claiming to be uh, prescriptive here or representative of other people. For for me, gore in and of itself has never been the thing. It's more the idea behind what's happening and the idea behind what's happening and the way that it's communicated viscerally in this movie is just as dynamic and just as much of an assault on your senses as John Wick for my money. Yeah. Uh, but your mileage may vary on that. I'm more blood splatters and gore will get me mm-hmm. just almost instantly. It's very hard for me to dissociate. So yeah, I don't, I can't really even watch John Wick just, just to, cause it, it just gets me. You just don't I'm want just that. like, I can't not a huge fan of that stuff either. Yeah. Yeah. So in this, this, I know what you're saying. It was more visceral, but it didn't to me. It was like, this is action stuff mm-hmm. happening. I have to stop and think about it for a little <laughs> to feel bothered. <laughs> but yeah. It certainly it had it had more of an edge. Mm-hmm. Like the vengeance kill for Felix, yeah. avenging his friend. Yeah. That feels a little more like, yeah, this is pretty this is actually a pretty violent movie, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> the vengeance kill for Felix was pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they they did such a I mean, they they worked really hard to make you make it so that you wanted him to do it i mean that guy was of course they did he was so bad yeah, yeah. They, they did. he was so obnoxious yeah, yeah. yeah that, that guy was that guy was a better sub boss i think than the guy with the eye yeah for sure yeah, i didn't care too much about the guy with the eye he was fine and he had a good death he was he was he was a sub boss from the roger moore era payoffs though. yeah man yeah what a payoff Although I will say if you want to we talk had about the him. eye we had the eyes the whole time we had the the watch we had the yeah yeah what about the setup of felix is james bond's brother and he likes to use the term brother and uh, this guy for some idiot reason calls james bond his brother says hey be a brother (laughs) James (laughs) was like i had a brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man yeah Okay, so you get through the big action scene, then you have Madeline Swan. Then you have the proper ending of this movie and the very good melancholy noir ending of this movie where all of James Bond's former teammates are having a... Pouring uh, one out for the... Pouring one out for their yeah. fallen comrade. And then M says, let's get back to work. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, that's how James Bond really goes out. And that's the proper respects to James Bond. But because this movie is for idiots, and those two categories, we're, we're going to have... It's Madeline Swan driving as as, as the final and, scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mind her driving with her kid. It's just no, that's fine. No, that, that was fine. That, that was that fine. Was but the little let me tell you a story about a guy named Bond, right? James Bond. His name was Bond. Dad Bond. See guys, we redeemed James Bond. <laughs> when we say this phrase, you're going to think of all the movies that you've seen. But now, <laughs> <laughs> now all those movies are actually us telling the story about fatherhood of <laughs> for this little girl, so that she knows uh, what a hero her dad was. Right. So, so I mean, that was part of the part of the horror of that moment was like, no, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know that you want to tell that little girl too much about her dad actually so, so her dad was giving venereal disease to his hundredth <laughs> woman in an ice palace before he got in his invisible car yeah, yeah it doesn't quite super. land james, james bond doesn't really deserve to have mommy tell stories to yeah it's more like you ended up i don't know you just ended up with something other than james bond mm. well yeah and that is that is the thing that really has to be uh, 
or it doesn't have to be, but wants to be litigated, is is Daniel Craig's James Bond James Bond? And okay, he's got the name, he's got whatever, but it really like they work so hard to differentiate him from Ian Fleming's James Bond. Yeah, that it's got a lot of the trappings of Bond, but mm-hmm. I would say it feels like its own franchise. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, I. I think there's been 25. My answer to that is there's been 25 of these things. So I'm fine with five of them doing something else. But no, it's not. It's not the 20th century's James Bond. It's not. This is not. This is not fundamentally the same character as Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, and Pierce Brosnan. And I guess Lazenby mm-hmm. played. You could argue. You could make a good argument. It is actually closer to Ian Fleming, the book writer's. James Bond, because that guy is a little bit more vulnerable. He does have a wife who dies. He does cradle her body and say, we have all the time in the world, or we had all the time in the world, which was a, a nice, nice that they used the line. A little nod in this one. Yeah. Um, but uh, James Bond is pretty broken in the novels and pretty vulnerable in some ways. But but Craig still pushes beyond that into, no, he's a father. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's had not just one woman that he truly loved, but two. two. I mean, that's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for Eva Green to break his heart and him to harden up into James Bond, but mm-hmm. it's another thing for him to then randomly fall in love with another woman. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, is there anything else to litigate about this movie? It was, it was really uh, pretty. The f- photography yeah, it's really is well done. Beautiful. There's Carrie Jojo Fukunawa, Fukunawa or whatever his yeah. name is. Yeah. yeah. I, I really, it is. And that's, it's also true of Skyfall. It makes you mad how few movies care about the cinema, uh, about cinematography, especially if they're action movies. Right. Yeah. It's just like, guys. Look at what you can do. Yeah. Add so much weight and emotion. Put some elbow grease into it for goodness sake, Marvel. Mm. Just a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. I mean, Skyfall is in particular is a movie that I'll go back to just makes, to watch the Shanghai scenes, that yeah. fight in silhouette in front of the big neon. Mm-hmm. It then, makes so many movies yeah. look so cheap. Yeah. Javier Bardem stalking them across the marsh and almost darkness mm-hmm. with the flames in the background. Is this hellscape? Is it's really awesome. great. Awesome. It's really mm-hmm. cool. And this movie had like the when they are in in the woods with the mist. Um, yep. And then Death Flower Island and yep. Um, and the in the opening scene in the opening in the, scene. In the winter. Yeah. Yep. The opening scene in the winter. Yeah. This guy he yeah. just got a good line in 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 horror really. And yes. You can see why he was up for doing it before he got right. That was one thing. Maybe Jake and I talked about this in the parking lot after, but we didn't say on Mike is that. This movie had a strong horror flavor yeah. or yeah. element up to it. Like the the whole Doom thing, starting it with a killer stalking a little girl. Well, in a mask. And it made you mask. it made you ask horror movie style questions about your own death. And Yes, that is what it did. And mm. and that's the effectiveness of the villain in that scene, you know, where he's saying, you know, he's giving his point of view, which is yeah, everybody thinks they want a chance and thinks they want control, but actually mm-hmm. they want their lives dictated and then they want oblivion. Right. Yeah. And like the horror of that and the reck- the, the the fact that he cared enough to make you reckon with, do I want oblivion? Mm-hmm. Do is it what I what I want? Do I want to be controlled? Mm-hmm. Like it is that true? 
like he wanted you to feel that he wanted you to ask that question of yourself the way that a horror movie wants you to ask that question and he had a nihilistic perspective about all of it that he wanted you to feel in a way that a horror movie mm -hmm. often wants you to feel in an action movie exists for you to forget mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah i i think that's that's for me one reason why when you when you get to the woods scene and you get to the final island scene it it to me it's it's become less of an action movie i recognize these are action scenes they're well done they're exciting mm -hmm. but it all it's it's not in the service of action movie goals now well the woods scene is it's, a good example of that because while it has a lot of traditional action beats a lot of the intrigue of that scene actually comes from when is mr mask gonna show up yeah. and where and what corner of the screen how is yep. he gonna take the girls away right yeah you know um that's right and that is obviously a horror movie thing more than an act it's it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it 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 trains you to start examining the frame waiting mm -hmm. for where this guy's gonna pop up in a way that usually is 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 only horror movies yep yeah no i i i, I will give I, I did not properly agree with your point quite enough earlier that this guy is great and i think he does get at some of that scary nihilism in a way that i last so it's so hard to put yourself back in the shoes of seeing the dark knight for the first time mm -hmm. now that heath ledger's become a meme and a poster and all this stuff but the joker in your first or in my first experience of that movie does get at something that's pretty profoundly perverse and creepy and visceral and visceral yeah. for me it's actually the scene when batman's riding the motorcycle at him and he's saying come on come on come on i want Do you it. to hit me and you realize this isn't an act this guy i mean i, re I remember actually you know being viscerally kind of horrified by that like just just the fact that this guy doesn't actually wants you can have michael kane tell you you want he wants to watch the world burn but to have an actor actually capture that, that. and since then it's been so thoroughly you know well turned it, into a poster that mm, it's hard to yeah and it looks like matt reeves is flipping that and going making to give batman us, that. making batman that mm -hmm. um and is the the batman which you know, maybe it will be interesting. Yeah. But we'll see. It's not what I want from Batman, but maybe he can do a good job with it. Maybe he can take it somewhere. Uh, if what he says is he wants to give you, in this movie, Batman Year One, mm -hmm. and he's cast Robert Pattinson, maybe he's got a three or five movie growth arc. Yeah, that could be. Or maybe he's just got one shot and one idea. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I would, I think it would be cool if he had a, a, a five plus movie growth arc for a Robert Pattinson cast Batman who, who can bear being the youthful, vengeance driven vigilante and can mature all the way into a pretty mature elder statesman kind of Batman by the time it's all said and done, at least in terms of casting a younger actor with some real range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that'd be great I yeah. think something like that could be really cool maybe it's too much to hope for I'm pretty I, I, optimistic about these things and I'm always disappointed so <laughs> and it is Warner Brothers so. right. uh -huh. I'm pretty pessimistic about these things and I'm always disappointed so I don't know how that works <laughs> maybe I'm secretly optimistic and Jake's secretly pessimistic I think that's probably true somehow 
But in any case, my larger point was... Uh, I'm secretly Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, Ben, this, this is where you choose to reveal it? I guess most people probably didn't make it three hours. Into, we always... Into this no, I feel like I'm safe. We always knew. <laughs> you always knew. It's what we do. Yeah. The, the Lucifer Satan get, uh, has a little bit of that uh, energy going in a, yeah. in a way that's good. Remy Malik's just a good actor and... I might quibble with the material that they gave him, but boy, does he sell it really, really well. Well, and that's the thing. And that's where I said, or I said earlier, or maybe at the top of the of the show, that before I thought about how you approach this movie as a writer, I just hadn't, I didn't, I still don't care a lot. I never cared a lot about Craig's Bond. I've never cared a lot about the franchise. So I'd never had any thought mm. for, it was just, okay, No Time to Die is going to be a blockbuster action movie that'll be fun to see i guess so coming into that because of my disdain for all of it i just wanted bond on a beach i wanted the batman or the dark knight rises ending but i didn't want it to be a fake out i wanted it to just be like a bang bang like ha gotcha you know i'm real james bond like but which they had the perfect setup but for for by the way. I mean, they could have just done like, well, he's going to tell her he died in flames, but then at the very end, we'll cut to he's standing there wistfully watching. He can never see his wife and daughter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they could have done any number of those things, mm-hmm. but the minute you start thinking about it as a writer and you realize that you've got Ray Fiennes, you've got Ben Wishaw, you've got Naomi Harris, you've got Remy Malik mm-hmm. as your villain, like... You can do, and you're sending off, right? You know, you can just get so much emotion by just putting a camera at Ben Wishaw and saying, "Hey, exactly." Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you don't have like you have two tremendous actors who can carry so much emotion with their eyes, and Ben Wishaw and Ray Fiennes. Like, how do you not want to write that death? Like, how do you fail? when you have them performing for you as a as a writer like you like it's a, it's just a dream right like oh i ray fines can be the 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 stately stiff upper, upper lip, lip yeah you know dude who's all of his emotions behind his eyes ben wishaw can be the young guy who doesn't who feels all the feelings of what he's lost without really understanding them but and, maybe and, and, does. And then we also have a sweetie pie to bite her lip. Yeah. And, and Naomi Harris yeah. is a beautiful woman mm-hmm. and a tremendous actor, actress in her, in a, of her, like, yeah. And she can just sit there and bite her lip mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. actually cry, mm-hmm. have a tear come down her, her cheek. Like you have that, like, how do you not kill the man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can't lose. You cannot fail to have those emotions be like, You'd have to work pretty hard to fail at that, mm-hmm. I feel like. There's so many good ways to do that where so long as you can put a camera in those three actors' faces, mm-hmm. you've sold all the emotion you need to sell. Like, mm-hmm. And so, and yet Christopher Nolan would figure out a way to fail as he, <laughs> as he did with Batman. All you have to do is- well, I mean, not, Michael Caine could have done it. Yeah, yeah. The, all you have to do is cut one shot from that ending and you have an ending, but instead it's going to be like, hi, Alfred, it's me, Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> I still haven't forgiven you, but I'm glad to see you. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> tip of the hat to you, Alfred. <laughs> oh, man, what a loser ending. I mean, I, I don't think Marvel, yeah, they did, they did okay by Robert Downey Jr., but- 
they, they didn't really land the plane with uh, Captain America as far as I was concerned. Yeah, that was terrible. You know, they, they figured out how to take slam dunks and ruin them. So I, th- I thought that it was kind of special that this movie managed to actually give Craig a pretty good send off. And by that metric, you, you, I, I need to stop saying the phrase, by that metric, but I've said it like nine times on this podcast, but you, you, you needed a villain this nihilistic and this brutal and this over the top yeah. because uh, it, it's what Nolan failed to understand with the, the level of villainy that people like Heath Ledger are bringing to it. The only thing that a hero like Batman can do is actually meet this with his own death, his own sacrifice, and it feels cheap that he doesn't actually have to do that. With a villain like this, if you're going to kill James Bond, it has to be like the only way that we can stop this evil is to trade James Bond's life for it. Yeah, um, that's this the, was the Joker. Right. This is mm-hmm. the sacrifice that has to be made. He wants to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. And so our knight in shining armor has to die to slay this particular dragon. That's just, that's good hero stuff, which Nolan would be like, it feels like good hero stuff, but here's a twist. <laughs> <laughs> You thought I was going to do hero stuff, but surprise! I'm doing it backwards (laughs) in slow motion. (laughs) Yep, which is why I think that guy, for all his tricks and skill, is basically, at his heart of hearts, a hack, a horrible. So, how many um, shaken, not stirred martinis, vodka martinis, out of uh, five do you give to No Time to Die, Ben? And how would you rank it among the Daniel Craig movies you have seen? Oh, I'll rank it the highest. And I, I'll give it, I think I'll just give it three and a half, maybe four. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to let it get emotion out of me because it made me, maybe I was, maybe I was a little angry. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want your nihilism. I don't want your nihilistic sadness either. Mm-hmm. It just, it was a movie that made me think, man, I really want to be a Christian. Like... It this, made me do that too, actually. It made me it made me question if I was a Christian <laughs> and really want to be a Christian, a real one. Yeah, like, man, it's nice. Not, not every movie does that. <laughs> <laughs> it I I sat there in the theater thinking, I need Jesus and I want Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if that gets it more stars or less stars. I guess maybe that should give it more I don't know, more martinis. Well, not many movies care to ask questions that would ever make you think a thought like that. Right. True. Yeah, I mean, the question is, does this movie put those demons to bed? The question of any movie is, if, if you're going to bring those demons on stage, do you slay them? You know, if you're going to ask the questions, do you have an answer? And the answer is, <laughs> it partly slays them. I mean, it doesn't have a way of slaying them, really. For a Daniel Craig, James Bond movie made in 2020... It does better than you might. It does better it than does, the Dark It does Knight. better than almost anything that yeah. I can think of. Like, it asked the question in such a way that I had to say, no, I want Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. and I had to say it to myself in the, in the movie theater during the movie while the movie was still playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, it wasn't like I got to the parking lot and on reflection. no. I had to, I was forced to think those thoughts and ask those questions in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I feel like likewise. Hey, there's a there's a director and some writers that care about things that matter mm-hmm. enough that in 
in a, in an action movie, they're going to put you in that kind of corner. Right. That's pretty rare. I don't know many action movies that do that. Well, and they're I playing. Think of okay, they don't have Jesus, but they are playing fair enough with these things to say it has to end in death. Like yeah. there, there's no, there's no. Ver- it has to game. end in sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's no end game where Daniel Craig doesn't die for the world sins, for Remy Malek's sins, and for his own sins. That's the only way this plays, and that is a fair, the only fair move to make. It's fair with, and consistent with the pieces that you have in place. It's not Christian. It's not good. Nobody should see this movie expecting to be spiritually edified. Brett McCracken will write something stupid about it and deserve to be eviscerated for it. Right. And, you know, if he does, we will uh, take our our watch to the eye of his (laughs) terrible article. Um, (laughs) And we'll blow its mind. But... Yeah, this movie is not looking with a Christ-like gaze on anything. It doesn't have any great insights into the depravity. But given what it does, I think it does it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the courage to have some convictions mm-hmm. and the courage of its own convictions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, which is more than you can say for most movies. Yeah. If, if, you, yeah. If, if, your, if your flavor is, you know, some existential angst and some existential despair done with a loving touch, this movie is pretty good. If that's what you want, then, you know, don't watch a bunch of movies in a row like that. Don't let that be your only flavor, but for crying out loud. Jake, how many martinis? Out five. Of five. Five martinis out of five. Wow. wow. Oh. Um, that's a lot. Well, I think, I, I don't think it's a, a great movie, mm-hmm. a truly great movie, except for the fact that. Martinis are relative. This martinis is are relative. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, this is a mm-hmm. James Bond movie. This is an action movie in, in the context of all of the action movies of the last 20 years and all of the Bond movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The context of a franchise you don't care about and an actor in the franchise you don't like. <laughs> it actually makes mm-hmm. it easier probably for you to just be like, <laughs> eh, you know, five. I, it probably does. Uh, uh, huh. But for me, this movie achieves so much. It, yeah, it asks questions. It gives answers. It takes a pretty sloppy franchise and puts about as good a bow on it as you could possibly have hoped mm-hmm. in a way that far superior franchises failed to do mm-hmm. in a way that it's just, I think it's pretty amazing the way that it pulled the whole franchise together, paid off the whole franchise, paid off the character, paid off everything, made you care about it asked a philosophical question in the process, had great action. Like some real pixie dust went into pulling all of those things together. And it it's not without its flaws and its failings. It's not a perfect movie. But I just feel like the the successes are a pretty amazing achievement hmm. when it's all said and done. And it's not even as a, a movie, the best movie in the franchise. But it, it's probably, I think it's my favorite mm-hmm. for all of those reasons. Yeah. As, a, as a start to finish complete movie, mm-hmm. et cetera, Skyfall is a better movie, but mm-hmm. I like this one better, I think. Yep. This one, has, this one is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And Skyfall, I would say Skyfall more gestures towards being meaningful. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, Javier Bardem may have the best, t- the, the, the best, take the best point of view mm-hmm. of anybody in all of the thing like he may he he's, he may be the closest to anybody to being right 
Mm-hmm. This movie could be No Time for Die. Feels like it's directed by Javier Bardem, though. It, it, <laughs> That's it, it, right. It actually has. <laughs> yeah. It actually sells you Javier Bardem's <clears throat> point of view. Yeah. Where, where Sky Falls, just like, <laughs> check out this jerk, Javier <laughs> Bardem. Of course, he's wrong, even mm-hmm. though. Well, let's just not stop to think about it. Right. It's more lip service to a serious theme in that movie. I think uh, Skyfall mm-hmm. brings the emotion of the uh, of 50 years of James Bond in a way that, yeah. like, No Time to Die is a much more effective movie in and of itself. But Skyfall's like, hey, it's James Bond. This is where he grew up. This is He's mm-hmm. back in his Aston Martin DB5 again. You like James Bond, right? Skyfall does a good job of being both a franchise installment and a mm-hmm. thriller in and of itself, a Daniel Craig thriller. Where no no time to die is thoroughly just a Daniel Craig th- thriller, as the capper to a good Daniel Craig trilogy in Casino Royale, Skyfall, and this, I would say it's a five martini movie. It is very messy. James Bond movies usually are. Skyfall mm-hmm. is the exception in that it's such a well constructed constructed movie. James Bond yeah. movies usually bogged down in the second act. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. a trope. It's almost like, oh, well, we got to be confusing and have too much going on in the second act. It's James Bond. Yeah, I, it's, I'll give it four martinis. You know, as, as, a, as a franchise closer, I'd give it five. As an entertainment in and of itself, I'd give it somewhere in the three to four range. I think the the middle act does bog down and loses some messy enough that I can't in good conscience give this and thing. Spilled the martini a little. Yeah, spilled the martini a little. Spilled spilled a whole martini. And, you know, I'll dock it a martini for James Bond's horrible cultural legacy, I guess. I'll punish it for the sins of the franchise and dock it. You in. don't think that Craig took the punishment of those sins on himself when he got efficiently <laughs> when he got blown to bits nope <laughs> <laughs> maybe if he died of a venereal disease in any case yeah i'll give it four martinis you know if you've been with craig this long i guess you probably want to see this one and maybe you probably already have if, if you don't care at all about craig i have no idea why you would check in here so you know who you are if you're going to see the this movie i don't have to recommend it or not recommend it i don't think Everyone listening already knows what they're going to do. So, yeah. Any other thoughts about No Time to Die, fellas? I think three or four hours of discussion, we've pretty much covered it. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> it's we almost t- two o'clock. Yeah. We went long on this one. There's a lot to say. I, I, I suspected we might get three hours. I mean, it's you can't just talk about the movie. You got to talk about Craig, and then you got to talk about the franchise. Mm-hmm. You gotta, there's mm-hmm. a lot to talk about. Speaking of a lot to talk about. Let's talk about how great Jeffrey S. is, our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winner. He's almost as great as Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. He is? Yeah, Yeah. he is. Is he our brother? Would we consider Jeffrey to be our brother? (laughs) Yep, he's mine. (laughs) Yep. And if somebody killed Jeffrey, would you throw a car on them, Ben? Uh, Maybe not. It depends on... How out of control I was what, what <laughs> at if the they, time. What if they I might claimed. want them to have due process. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying it would be right to throw a car on them. I'm just asking you, what would you do? Especially if they were like, you're my brother, Ben. <laughs> if they set you up like that. I don't know. I probably still wouldn't throw a car on them. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Well, Sorry, Jeffrey. Yeah. I love you. But, you know. You probably other would, things. wouldn't end up on an island with a bunch of a bioweapon making you unable to touch the ones that you loved i hope not 
You mean Jeffrey? No, uh, you, you you wouldn't. Uh, huh? Oh, okay. I would hope that you would make any number of choices different than Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah, I think I would. Well, in any case, Jeffrey, he's a great guy. He is. Yep. Better, better than Daniel Craig. Better. Yep. Mm-hmm. Better man. Better than James Bond. Definitely. Right up there with who's, who's the best character. He's the electromagnetic pulse in our special gadget watch. Yes, he is. Yes. <laughs> Jeffrey, you blow our minds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, listeners. Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to support this stuff. Sanity at the patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Until next time. He's never ready for it. <laughs> he's never ready for it. Surely Eduardo Satan had a memorable line. <laughs> Lucifer Satin? Is that his name? Saffin. Saffin. So stupid. Lucifer. 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 Oh my goodness. Until next time. We all have our secrets. That's pretty good. Profound.